0: Is Dan coming to you from the Spiritual Underground Podcast, sitting in my little wood shop slash podcast studio in my backyard here in New Omni, Indiana. Uh, I'll do my little commercial real quick if you need any handyman work, woodwork, anything like that, and help you with in the uh, Louisville metropolitan area. Uh, look up DTM Woodwork and Handyman. It's Facebook, Instagram, Google it. You should be able to find me. Um, Spiritual underground.org also. Uh, I want to throw in, I think I've uh, been a little slack on this and I want to make sure that I hit this because it's also a huge part of my life is this uh, 12-step spiritual recovery. Uh, I don't know, I want to put a word around it. Process, program, uh, I don't know what to say about it. But we're doing this thing where we're offering the 12 steps to anyone who wants to try some new tools in their lives. Uh, in my journey, I found a lot of ways to grow uh the 12 steps have been the fundamental one and, and my anchor point uh and and we're now doing that so 12 steps spiritual recovery uh dot com and let's see you can also get the book 12 steps spiritual recovery by james christopher cone on amazon it comes in two volumes or a single one you can get it a kindle version uh i think you can even get a free sample of the kindle version if you want to hear the first few chapters, uh, I've done them in uh, Southern Indiana Hillbilly book here on the podcast, too. So you can find that if uh, you want to get a little taste of it. Uh, that'd be a, a free way to dip your toe in the water. Uh, so we'll get on with the reason we're here today. Uh, super special day. Uh, this is actually the second time I've been able to do this. Uh, and I, I just juiced that a man is sitting here on his actual 365th day, his one year anniversary of his uh, sobriety. And uh, it's just so cool to do this, that first year. Uh, there's just really nothing like it, you know? And, and uh, the funny thing is, you know, there's a thing in me, that, like I want that again, right? But you never get that again. That first year, and even if you – so even that – first that, I had a year. And I always think I'm funny because so now I'm going to back up a little bit. Uh, I had a year. It wasn't an honest year. I didn't drink for a year. Uh, but when I did this thing for real uh, here, whatever, five years ago, uh, that first year was magical. Now, don't ever want another first year. Don't get me wrong there because uh, it's hard, too and uh and breaking through in the beginning but it is magical and the amount of transformation some uh that that a human being has when they go through this work and they do it and i'll just put this out there too when they do it the way we do it because there's many ways to do the steps and and this 12 steps but this tssr this 12 step spiritual recovery methodology that particular process and 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 uh the uh enhancements that are involved there uh and i can say that with 100 percent a guarantee because I've witnessed it. I'm a product of it. The three men in this room are a product of it. And, uh, and, and it just is, it's just an optimized way to go through this work and grow, uh, and heal quickly. And, and it also gives you just such a great platform for, for whatever's next too. Uh, that's the, that's the kick is, you know, it's one thing to get sober, you know, but what am I going to do now, you know, and, and, and um, our circle in particular is doing lots of cool stuff and and encouraging people to just reach for the stars and uh, that's what we do today. So we got Travis here today uh, celebrating his one year. So I'll do a little bit something uh, different than I normally do. One things uh, I do have a one year token here for you. Uh, you get a number of these. This is one of my real ones. This is not one I bought. This is one I received on my one year. Uh, I know I had. I'm so blessed. I had so many friends. I got a bunch of people gave me one year tokens. Now the one thing is, is that I see people give theirs away, and I'm a little hesitant because I'm a collector,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, and uh, I probably you know I will probably always keep one of them. But I don't know. I shouldn't say always because I don't like to say always or never. I also have a gift bag. Once in a while, somebody'll show off a gift I've given <laughs> podcast guests. You know they'll show it off on uh, Facebook or something like that. And uh, I'm like, oh, man, you know, not everybody gets one of them. Uh, (laughs) uh, But um, I do uh, make these little numbers and and give them to people. And I used to make tons of them, but I frankly can't keep up anymore. Uh, But I damn sure want to make sure that if a guy's celebrating one. So here's what I do today, uh, and I'll just put it out flatly. If you're special to me, if you're number one, if this is your first year – uh Or if you're one of my sponsees, uh, you know those are. The, that's my my ground rules on how off I'm gonna make one now. Some people buy them actually, uh, but here's your number one cedar. Come down off the farm. Travis has a farm uh is awesome. down there close by.
2: Super cool, thanks, man.
0: Down there close by to our place, uh the Fargo where we have the retreat. So, uh and I think that's kind of to me that wood that comes off of that farm is special. Uh, you know, and i tell you, know, I cut that tree down. I sawed it into lumber, and uh, there's a lot more you know, uh, to that thing than just a uh, Home Depot piece of wood. You stain that, or is it? Just I like uh, I shot it with some uh, yeah. uh, uh, lacquer is what I usually use. I know it's it knocks cool. down the smell, but it makes the colors pop. So it's a it's a double edged thing. But uh, the, the 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 lacquer will eventually flash off, and it'll go back to smelling right uh, once that. Ages a little, and I also have one more gift for you, and it's a get is you got to pick because I don't think you were in the loop back when we did this. Oh, I got a juice bomb shirt Uh-oh. and a got juice shirt. Let me take a look at them here, both largest. Let me see, I think I like this one. Yeah, look at the, the juice back. bomb. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's got the bomb on the back of it. That was a, yeah, that's that's a dual creation by Shane and That's I. sweet. Uh, his idea on the bomb, and it's got my Sanskrit version yeah, super of cool. uh, juice. The Thank word you. juice written in Sanskrit on the front of it. So I uh, will uh, say, welcome to the club. <laughs> or like you say, man, and I really like that when new guys come in, uh, welcome home, right? Yeah that's what yeah. happens when we landed that's what happened to me I didn't know it then yeah but when I landed with the spiritual underground uh, that's I found home
2: yeah a lot of people in the military say uh, thanks for your service and uh, but a lot of people in the military to other military people say welcome home mm. and that's a little bit more personal for me you know I got
0: it yeah cool I do want to mention to uh, Shane's in the studio adding his energy to the mix too because he's been a critical part of uh, Travis's recovery as well and uh always love having him in here just because uh just frankly well i love him to death and uh and uh i love his presence and his energy that he brings uh he's one of these men that uh, I've spoke about this before but that just being in physical presence with raises my vibration just when i'm around shane so uh and it also does it in here in the podcast too so man love you glad you're here man love
3: you too. Thank you for me.
0: i'll probably have you say a little about travis here at some point um so, man, how's it feel be one year sober?
2: It's crazy. You know, like, uh, I, I don't think I ever planned on being sober this long. You know, like, in my head, I couldn't really fathom or imagine what it was going to be like. Yeah. Because, I I mean, I'm 43 years old. I haven't been sober since I was 13. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, when I started I doing what I was doing to, you know, to, to get my medicine, you know, it – uh I, I didn't know how to live sober, you know. I didn't know. I didn't even know what I was getting into, so I just kind of had to get to the point where I had to trust guys like Shane and and have some faith and 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 believe when they say it's going to get better and it's going to get better. And it's gonna, people always say all that, just keep coming back and you know all that stuff when you're when you're five days sober or ten days that you're just like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. I smiled, and nodded, yeah. and, and all that, okay. but in the back of my head, yeah. yeah
0: <laughs> That that guy's full of crap. He can't be happy
2: as he yeah. looks. I want what he had in the car before he came in because I know there's something in his middle yeah. console he's not telling me about.
0: Yeah. You know. So your sobriety date is July 29th, 2019. Right, and we're sitting here on July 29th, 2020, in the middle of the COVID crap, man. That's another thing. You know, uh, yeah. staying sober through these last few months is uh, is uh, up the level of difficulty. Yeah, uh, but but we have an unfair advantage on uh, on, on a lot of the rest of the world in this uh, this program we work.
2: Yeah, yeah, man, it's uh it's definitely next level. Yeah, you know, I couldn't stay sober before I found this group of men. Yeah, I couldn't, and uh, I think when I came in and saw what they were doing and, and the way that they were leading by example. I finally found something to believe in, yeah. you know, like, because I had been to plenty of AA groups. I mean, I've tried to do this deal for a year before I actually committed to it, before I let go absolutely, you know. And I wanted to. You know, I was kind of stuck between step zero and step one, like where, y- you know, you admit that you're powerless, but you still can't stop doing it. You know, that's hell. It's hell to be stuck there, you know. And and uh, I just didn't believe in anybody's shit, you know. And, and, and uh I guess I just I needed something more than just being sober. Like I couldn't just be sober, and, and I'm like, because I get sober, I get thirty days or I get forty. I'm like, this ain't better. This ain't better than what I was doing. You know, Th- this is. And I go to meetings and I I try to reach out and try to talk to people and and uh, everybody had their little cliques in AA and all you know all the little and, and and there were a few people that that came up to me or said hi or whatever, but but it wasn't like when I came here, yeah. when I came in this group of men. I, and i'll never forget it the day i came in a year ago and, and said you know i need help and and i need i know, a suggestion from christopher came into the spiritual underground and said said i need help and and i was surrounded by 16 16 men and i had 16 numbers that i called every single one of them after that meeting that night yeah. and talked to all 16 of those men you know and uh i guess i was a little resentful for christopher because i I had gone to the Brook three times, and I had never heard about this spiritual underground thing. Or maybe I did, and I just wasn't listening. Good or, way. or maybe he could just see in my eyes that I wasn't ready to hear about it. You know, uh, I mean, he's a little more open with it today than he used to be. Yeah, uh,
0: but, but, uh, and I mean today, like in just real recent times, I'm talking about months. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, you know, uh, yeah, if he didn't think he was like for real, uh, yeah. then you didn't get the secret code. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and I get it you know I mean I understand because uh, I wouldn't want to bring that negative energy into that group because just like Shane when he you know when he first met me he's like man I didn't want to go around you like the negativity and just the negative energy around you was so bad like I didn't want to let that into my yeah, into man. my life and I get it I don't yeah. and I don't want to let that into my life now yeah you know I see that too on people now and I'm like oh gosh yeah it's toxic energy it man. is and it's uh and some people have it worse than others but yeah it's uh
0: you know, and then you you, know, you got you're putting off that energy, and you wonder why they ain't got no friends, or the ones you
2: got are <laughs> shitty. You know, <laughs> yeah, you think they're friends. Yeah. So you, you grew know. up
0: around here, here? Did you grow up around this area? Uh,
2: I was born here in New Albany. Yeah. Uh, but my mom remarried when I was real young, and and she married an executive in a company, kind of upper class family. And yeah. and every time that he changed positions in the company, we moved states. Oh, did you? So I left when I was about four or five. Oh, really. Yeah. So where all you been? And you don't have to give me a comprehensive. I'm just throwing out some. Uh, between five and fifteen. I lived in Mississippi, Pennsylvania, California, and then back here to Indiana. Wow. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. A lot of moving around. A lot of. Um, I don't know. I would seem like a. a would, it would seem like it'd be a lack of stability for oh, a yeah. child. You know. Where, oh yeah. I know that uh, watching kids come in, like the new kid at school. See, I was real solid. You know, fuck, I'm still in the damn house I grew up in. Right. Uh, <laughs> I still ain't left home. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm the, a little jealous The, of the new kids had to come in and now looking at it, breaking in, you know, trying to like, get friends at a new school, you know. Oh, and, as soon
2: as you make friends, then you, you got to go make new friends. And here's the thing. When you're a kid and you're like seven, eight, nine years old, and you live in Mississippi. I live in Oxford, Mississippi, where Ole Miss is. Okay, so – can you imagine the accent that I had living in Mississippi for about five years and then moving to Pennsylvania? Yeah. Those kids when I walked in that school nicknamed me Hee Haw. Yeah. You know? They used to follow me off the school bus and beat me up just because of the way I talked. You know, what I mean, it, it was it was rough. Yeah. You know? It was real rough, but it's part of my journey. You know, I mean yeah. it's 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 made me So my dad
0: got divorced pretty early. What'd you say, uh, you know, growing up, was it, were you okay or were you, was it rough or? I know. never
2: knew my parents together. Like I never, sure. before I was one, my parents were divorced. Mm. So my, my parents actually lived both of them in Greenville, Indiana. And, uh, that's where my, my dad's from. My mom's from down here in New Albany. And, uh, you know, some of my first memories are just of my mom's boyfriends. There was a lot of drinking, a lot of, you know, I remember uh, we went to a tractor pool or something over here in Louisville one night, and they were drinking pretty heavy, and we got home, and they got into it, and uh, she came and got in bed with me, and he came into my room after her and slammed my door in my bedroom through the wall. Oh, wow. And uh, when he saw me crying, I mean I probably was four it's one of my first memories you know four years old I was traumatized, and uh, he turned around and walked out and I never saw the guy again uh, you know so yeah,
0: yeah uh, once you started all this moving and stuff, I mean was life okay or was it a bitch or was it don't remember. Uh, there's a little yeah. veil between me and some of my early childhood. You know what?
2: My mind's a whole lot more blurry from like the last five years before I got sober. Yeah, like there's a lot of stuff that I did that people tell me about, like making amends today, and yeah. I'm like, yeah. And is there anything else that that yeah. I'm not catching that I that I need to yeah. you know that you need to talk about? And they're like, yeah, blah 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, really? Man. I did that, <laughs> or I said that, or you know, I treated you that way, and and uh but I think the the biggest for me that was like I was born in 77 so that was like early 80s the teachers had paddles Yeah, you know when I was in grade school if, if you got out of line they took you out in the hallway and beat your ass Yeah, you know that was how kids were disciplined when I was a kid and uh, my stepdad grew up in Bono Village here in New Albany and his discipline was a belt and you got your ass beat with a belt I mean black and blue beat and that happened to me quite a bit because mm-hmm. I was the step kid you know uh, they started having their own family. You they got had, a
0: little natural wild streak too, right? Yeah, yeah. They. they
2: I'm not saying that I probably didn't you know, deserve some you know, of that. I, mean, I, won't, I don't really think that you did uh, personally, but yeah.
0: you, you 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 know, there's kids that are more demure and 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 ones that are a little more out there. And yeah, you're just a dude's is just a little more jacked.
2: Right, right. And uh, yeah, uh, that whole ego complex with a inferiority disorder, you know, and all that, and, or ego disorder with inferiority complex. I Growing up as a kid, I didn't really realize it, but they started having a family, and I was a step kid, you know, and, and I used to get my ass beat for getting in trouble in school or, or just anything, but those other kids didn't get beat like I did, mm. you know. So I started noticing that I was a little different, you know, I was different from those kids, and uh, and I was getting beat up at school. And, you know, I was getting made fun of. And and it seemed like everywhere, every time I changed schools, it just got worse, you know. (laughs) So you you talk about feeling different when you're younger, and I felt out of place. I I didn't really feel like I was a part of a family, you know. And my mom tried to correct that, I think, with— with showing me love by spending money on me because we had a lot of money when I was a kid, you know, and, and that made it okay because, well, what do you need? You need some new Jordans or you need you need this or whatever whatever you need, we'll go get it, you know. And she would take me and go buy me stuff, you know. Which and, is the
0: default fixer today. I mean, right. even today, material goods. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Don't
2: feel good? Buy me and need this. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of how I learned to show love, you know, and, and I don't today, but uh, through a lot of my life, I think, you know, even with my kids, are like, I want – this, I'm like, okay, let's go get it, you yeah. know. And sometimes I gotta catch myself and step back and be like, you know what, that when it really comes down to it now looking back, all that stuff don't mean shit. Right. It don't mean shit. That all I really wanted was her time and, and her attention and, and to feel like I was a part of that family, you know. Um, whenever I was like I, I don't know if it was fourth grade or somewhere around there when we moved to Pennsylvania, I started getting a little bit a little bit older and started uh, getting into girls and, and skateboarding and stuff like that and uh, started making some friends as I got a little bit older. And then right about that time, we moved to California. Uh, he ended up getting a, a, a big promotion, I guess, and uh, moved to Orange County, California. Uh, big house with a swimming pool and hot tub. And, Is that like the L.A. Know, area? Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of inland a little bit from L.A. What's it was that more region? like Fullerton yeah. area. Uh and uh they had a couple kids, you know, they had a, a boy and a girl, I have a, a half brother and a half sister. Um But I always came home to visit my dad in the summertime. I would always fly home, no matter what state I lived in, you know, my dad would always fly me home here for the summer and uh it's a little different here than it is in california it's a little different here than it is in pennsylvania you know it's a little different and and my grandparents were here and my cousins were here and my family it was the only place i ever felt home you know like i i actually felt like i was a part of a family like my grandparents showed me this unconditional love that no matter what i did or what was going on in my life and and uh I had got caught stealing a couple times from some stores and and started acting out a little bit more as I got a little older a little bit older and uh I think it was I was 13 or 14 somewhere out there in, in California and I decided to try LSD for my first thing I ever did. I hated cigarettes, I hated smoke, I hated everybody smoked pot all the time out there and but well, LSD was just a piece of paper put in my mouth, you know, like it it was one of those things where I was like I could do that. I could try that. Was because people were talking
0: about doing it and it lit you up, or would you have some buddies that said, "Hey, why don't no, we?" Or
2: we, there was a, uh, a couple beaches there where it was okay to camp on the beach, uh-huh. and at that age, it was okay. Parents took their kids to the beach and let them spend the night, and we spent the night and had a big fire and everything. And this kid has said, "I got some LSD," and uh, I said, "Yeah, I'll try that. Yeah, 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 I will, I will." And I tried. I gave. It was like white blotter or something. Yeah. You know, I, I took one I and love it, that shit. It got stuck in my <laughs> gum. I was chewing gum. I said, oh, that got stuck in my gum. Let me get another one. Ah. (laughs) So the first time ever trying a drug or a drink. So your
0: first thing was tripping.
2: Yeah. Wow. No wonder you're a mess. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It takes one to know one. Um, But I opened up Pandora's box, man. Like, it it was fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, it was not scary. It was... At the beach with a big fire. I think we had a conversation about time for about six hours. <laughs> I mean, it was. I, I I thought I was in another world, and I probably was. You know, I remember Indians on the beach, and and uh, it It's unexplainable when you open up Pandora's box. I think, and you and you see into another dimension, and and to be a kid at, at like fourteen years old. I was like, this is it. Yeah, it did
0: it's, it was uh, you know I will say tripping on tr- taking psychedelics is a spiritual experience. Oh yeah, uh, uh, you know it's, it's it's one of the things that still has some lure. Yeah, know? like I don't have any <laughs> use whatsoever for some alcohol. Right. I mean, there is nothing. I mean, it actually repulses me to think about alcohol, but there's some other stuff. Well, it doesn't necessarily hold that same repulsion. Now I know where it would take <laughs> me, you know. Uh, right, but
2: people talk about mushrooms sometimes, and, and I did a lot of that because after that psychedelic, I continued with the psychedelics for several years. Yeah, well, but we
0: got something in common there for sure.
2: It it was uh, one of those things where I'm like, well, it's mushrooms; they grow outside, natural. God don't make mistakes, right? <laughs> yeah. So God wants me to do this, right? You know, I'm looking for all these excuses. Right, yeah, just like all uh, other
0: thing I say, you know, God didn't want us uh, eating animals; He wouldn't made them out of meat.
2: Right. You know, He would have put <clears> my eyes <throat> in the front of my head and, and my strongest muscle, in my jaw. So. Yeah. Uh, so wow. Did you drink or smoke pot that night or anything? No, or was it just a trip. Just trip. Wow.
0: Yeah. I rarely, rarely ever just tripped. I always. Had well, that was added. my first time. I, yeah, didn't I, get know, it, you know, I get it. I didn't. Yeah, I, didn't I just know. dawned on me because I, you know, I didn't trip. Or, you know i'd already been down the path a, a little bit but hell yeah. i was i think the first time i took it i was 15 i know i wasn't driving i know i, I can remember uh, numerous times of dropping acid and i was on a bicycle yeah because i you know I, that's the way we that was our that was the way we got around in town when i was a kid yeah you don't see people on bikes anymore except for you know exercisers now yeah uh,
2: but wow that's it was uh it was an experience yeah. you know um so I guess that was my beginning. You know, that was that was the yeah. beginning of my. That's definitely a different kind of beginning. <laughs> at least from my standpoint, you know, I
0: sit here at this microphone and I've heard a lot of stories from people, you know, and they're all, you know, it's a funny thing, you know, they're all the same, but they're all different. Yeah. Uh, um, but that's certainly a first uh, that I've ever heard anybody's. You know, I always think that uh, yeah, so your gateway drug was
2: acid. <laughs> <laughs> it was. You know, it was. Um You opened the gates wide if I Yeah. <laughs> uh <laughs> but I came back and visited uh here that summer and uh you know, I had cousins here and stuff and, and, and really, really felt like I wasn't part of a family, you know, I wasn't part of something. I wasn't you know, I wasn't really I didn't feel like I was treated like my my half brother and sister were. You know, they yeah. were they were. It was just different, and, and it's not anybody's fault. I don't. I it. no, it's I, not I, a blame it, game. At this point now in my life, I could see why now. You know, I mean it. And you you want to love your stepson or stepdaughter as much as you love your own kids, but I mean that. I, I don't have any stepkids, so I don't know how difficult that really was on him. You know, yeah. I, um, and and the whole. Belt thing and beating me all the time. That was how he was brought up, too. You know, I mean, that was how they were raised. You know, our parents were raised on that switches and belts and, and, uh, oh, you want to run your mouth? Go get me a switch. You know, yeah. um, that's how they were brought up. That's how they were disciplined, you know, and, uh, and me and him have had to talk about that since, and, mm-hmm. and I'm at peace with that. And he's apologized to me and, and said he knows that it was wrong now. And, and, uh, and I really believe that. that As a result you know, of this work? No. Is that how that happened? No, that it was before that. Was it? Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah so so that the the acid kind of opened up the door it was a, was a gateway for me uh I went back to California after I came here to visit and uh and the next time that I came back here I decided that I was it was about 1992 93 some, somewhere in there you know I, I told my mom I said I want to go live with my dad and she said no that's not going to happen <laughs> she's like no you're not going to go back there and live with your dad I said well, you know I tried to convince her that's what I wanted to do and, uh, I think I'd started smoking a little weed or something by then, you know, and, and tripping here and there. Uh, and I decided I was going to carry a pound of weed with me back to Indiana from California on the plane. Why not? Why not? It's a good idea. You know, I I thought, you know what, you walk through a metal detector and, uh, as long as you don't wear a belt or any jewelry or anything, you know, I saw I wore a sweatsuit and I duct taped a half pound of weed to my stomach and a quarter pound to each leg and walked through the airport, changed planes in Chicago, sitting there smelling like pot. And, uh got all the way back to Indiana and and got a pound of weed back here, you know, and it worked, you know, I was like, Oh, well, you know, I was, I wasn't 18 yet. I'm like, yeah, if I get caught, I'm a juvie. Right. (laughs) But, uh, silly shit like that, you know, I just started, uh, uh, doing dumb shit, you know, and, and when I came back that time, uh, I, I think I was 15 and at the end of the summer I was supposed to go back and, and my my heart and soul told me that this is where I wanted to be. Like, this is the only place that I felt home. It wasn't from smoking pot or doing drugs. Or wh- it was just because this felt like I was part of a family here, yeah. you know. And my grandparents, they loved on me like I had never felt love before. Um, there you were separated, and here you were yeah included. You were So I did what any 15-year-old aspiring alcoholic would do and called my mom and told her I wasn't coming back. And it broke her fucking heart. I mean, it's she let out a scream like somebody died hmm. uh, when I called and told her that. And uh, it it kind of flashed to me, you know, maybe all this that she did with even get marrying this man was for me, you know. Maybe I started feeling guilty about it, you know. Um, but that that passed pretty quick, and and I didn't go back. Um, so, moving here and uh, I, I just ended up moving with my dad, you know, and he had, had said, hey, why don't you just stay, you know, and and I thought, man, tell my mom that it's going to be something else. So, I didn't really ask. You know, I just told her I wasn't coming back. Uh, I, I just asked for forgiveness, not permission, and that's kind of the way my life usually goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I I had no idea that... That I had a mental disorder and, and was an alcoholic at that time, but I already was, you know. I mean, I, I was doing things before I left, like stealing money out of her purse and, and letting her blame it on my sister and me just kind of closing the door and going back to my room, you know. And, and I'd go to the store with my friends, and, and they'd buy a candy bar, and I'd buy box candy bars, you know. <laughs> it was sugar, or it was women, or it was, you know, it was I was obsessive. You know, I, no matter what I did, it was like, it could have been soccer or football or, or it could have been collecting baseball cards. It could have been energy drinks. It, no matter what it was, it was like to the extreme, yeah. you know, no matter what it was. I look back and I see it now. Um, but, you know, I think that was the first time I really broke her heart, you know, and uh, it's, it's tough, you know. It's tough for a kid to, to have to grow up, I think just not feeling like you're a part of a family, you know. Just I, I was just alone. I felt alone a lot. Um, and so when I came back here to Indiana and moved in with my dad, I was in 10th grade at that time, I think. Go 15, Floyd Central. 15, Floyd Central. Um, and something changed. Being a new kid from California with a tan and being at Floyd Central was the opposite of all the other new kid schools that I'd went to, hmm. you know all of a sudden I was the popular kid like all everybody wanted to know who the California kid was who was the kid from Cal? you know yeah.
0: I yeah uh, got that California vibe right yeah here.
2: man and uh, and it, it just kind of fed my ego you know it really fed my beast well it's again uh, you know
0: that separation separation and all of a sudden you're feeling included a in, part of something and, you know and liked and that kind of thing man yeah you right. just jump, jump right on that just like a drug
2: yeah, yeah. it was a uh, it was probably I thought, you know, like the the best decision I had ever made. You know, I felt like I was actually a part of something. You know, I felt like I had a family again, you know, and and uh I had girlfriends and uh, a lot of friends and the friends that I made at Floyd Central they I was the experienced kid because I had done acid and they hadn't done that so I was going to show them you know what that was like and uh we started started getting high uh smoking weed and and tripping acid and mushrooms and that was a pretty regular weekend thing then we did it school a few times and that <laughs> wasn't so cool but yeah uh but all of a sudden at 15 and getting your ego fed like that I realized real quick that me and my dad are really really alike you know and uh he started uh, trying to discipline me, and he hadn't been a father for 15 years, so there was a little headbutt and a little resistance from me there at that so point. You're his only son. Yeah, I was an only child, and uh,
0: yeah, right, man. Also, and I'm a
2: teenager walking in, and now you're dad, you know, yeah, I, I, yeah. and uh, it was cool because he'd let me say fuck, you know, and, and uh, when I came home on the summertime, you know, and me and him were almost like friends. And then all of a sudden, when I moved in, it was like he was my dad. Yeah. You know, and he wanted to tell me what to do and what I shouldn't do. And, well, I wasn't going to have that. So That's I got, not why I came here. <laughs> I didn't come here for a dad. I came here to fucking hang out and be popular in school. And, you know, uh, when you're 15, 16 years old, you fucking think you know everything. Sure. You think you fucking know everything. You think you got the world by the balls, and you don't know shit. You know, you don't fucking know shit. Uh. And, and my daughter just turned 13 now, too. So, you know, I see it in, in her, you know. And, and, uh, yeah, mine are 14 and 16. <laughs> it's, uh, it's cool, man. It's really cool. But uh, I think uh, I got the, you know, that, that talk that your dad sits you down and says, if you're going to live under my roof, you're going to live by my rules. All and right. I said, okay. So I walked downstairs and I packed up my suitcase and I fucking disappeared out the back door. I had my friends pick me up down the street and uh, hid out at some friend's house for a couple days, and uh, he was looking for me. I think the cops were looking for me and so I, uh, I I went to the only place where I really knew unconditional love. I called my grandma, you know uh, and I said uh, I was probably 16 at the time because one of my friends was driving, so I, I probably this was probably almost a year into me living here. I said, she had already heard from my dad. You know, she knew I would disappeared. She said, "Uh, you know, what's going on? And I said, "Uh, I was wondering if I'd come to your house for a while and and stay. And she said, well, how long? And I said, forever. And she said, come on. (laughs) So at 16, I moved in with my grandparents. Uh, And... My grandparents are the only people. It's my mom's parents, so there was a little pushback from my dad on it. You know, he uh, he had already got papers that had custody of me, and he I was only sixteen. You know, he didn't have to let me go there. He could have made me come home, uh, but I'm glad he didn't. Uh, my grandfather was probably the most spiritual man I've ever met. He was one of the people that didn't go to church, but he was one of the people that he was so selfless. Man, like my grandma, she never ever had to put gas in her car like her car always had gas in it she didn't know how to pump gas when he passed away i had to teach her how to pump gas she didn't know how to write a check you know like he did things you know paid for my wife's college and and he gave me so much advice and was such a mentor in my life um so for those couple years it was good man you know it was, they, they let me do they knew i used drugs they knew that I smoked pot and, and they I don't know what to what extent, but they just asked me, they said, No matter what you do, we love you no matter what. You know, and uh they said, just if you would, just please don't do it in the house. <laughs> I said, Fuck, I'm in. You know. Uh, no problem. And uh they never questioned me, never asked me, never, you know, pushed me, never tried to discipline me. Um they just loved me unconditionally, you know, and and, and that was the first time in my life I really had that you know um and I was out of control you know I mean at my junior prom I took two girls to prom you know (laughs) I got prom pictures with me and two girls you know I mean it it was just everything was so eccentric you know everything was so extra my car and and and, you know uh, that was like 94 or something I had a cell phone like one of the first cell phones that ever came out and and, uh, you know, just it, it, just looking back, it, it was, uh, I was an extremist, I think, you know, no matter what I did. Um, and I got kind of closer to graduation in high school. And uh, my last semester in school at Floyd Central, I had already had enough credits to graduate, and all I needed was English. And I got straight F's and a D in English. Because I knew I just needed a D to graduate.
1: Hmm.
2: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, man. Um, when I was getting ready to graduate, you know, that, that last semester or so of school, uh, my grandfather, like I said, was, was the most spiritual man that I've ever met. Um, and he said, well, he, he had been in the Navy and the, the Army. He was in the Navy. He was a boxer on a Navy ship. Uh, in World War II, and he was drafted into the Army after he got out of the Navy. Hmm. So he went into the Army and did his time and the Navy. And he said, why don't you think about going in the military? You know, I, I seen guys graduating because I hung out with some older guys, you know, and, and uh, they were all working in factories around here, beach molding tool and places like that making 10 bucks an hour. And and that was their life. That was what they were going to do. And I, that wasn't going to happen to me. You know, I said... Now, fuck that. I'm not, I'm not going to be like that. I'm, i got to do something else. I'm not going to college. I fucking hated school. Uh, it was just boring to me. Not that it was hard. It was just boring. So I uh, I entertained the idea for a little bit. And, and, and finally, one day, there was some recruiters at school, and I talked to them. And uh, they said, well, there's the Army and the Navy and the Air Force and the Marines. And I said, well, which one's the hardest? They said, that's the Marines. And I said, that's the one I want to do. Uh, so I signed up to go into Marines and, and that was about 95, you know, I was, I was 18 or 17 and, and, uh, and still in school was this, yeah, still at Floyd central. And, and I just knew I didn't want to get stuck here. I didn't, and I loved being here. I loved this part of the country. I love the seasons. Um, and it's, it's a really beautiful place. You just don't really realize that sometimes when you've been here a long time, how beautiful this, this part of the country really, i lived all over the world, um, and uh, so I signed up, and, and I signed up in infantry um, when I signed up, uh, 0311 and that's pretty much just a basic killer. You know, that's all you do is you go in the woods and shoot people and learn how to kill people. And and uh, I came home and told my grandpa, I said, I'm going to the Marines. He said, well, that's great. And I, he said, well, what's going to be – what are you going to do? You know, because they got – I mean, the military has – Jobs. Jobs. Like, (laughs) like they have a whole society. Like they have doctors and nurses. They have garbage men. They have electricians and they have carpenters and they have, like you actually pick a job when you go in. They have thousands of jobs and you go to work every day. That's what you do while you're in the service. And in a time of war, you may get deployed overseas. Well, I came home and told him I'm going to be a rifleman. I'm going to be in infantry. And, uh, He said, whoa. (laughs) He's like, well, we might want to rethink that. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're going to go into military for four years, right? I said, yeah. He said, so you're going to learn to be a killer. And when you get out, then what are you going to do? (laughs) And I thought, well, I didn't get that far yet. You know, I just know that I love to hunt and I love to fish. And uh, I love to be in the woods and camp and and Shoot. shoot guns. And that's what I'm going to do. And he's like, well, he's like, if you don't ever do anything else for me the rest of your life, he goes, go back to them recruiters and ask them what other jobs they have available and do something that you can learn a skill in and get out and have a job, you know. And I had to think about that for a while because that wasn't really what I wanted to do. I wanted to go live in the woods and shoot people, you know. That's what I wanted to do. Um and
0: yeah, part of my point here is that uh, i didn't want a job <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm, not, I'm not thinking about jobs i'm thinking about going living in the woods you know and uh, and uh so i went back to the recruiter and i said hey what other jobs besides that do you have available and, and uh, he said i've got uh, ditch digging and i've got a uh, cook and i've got infantry and i said uh yeah i'll pass on all those things so I, I just I went back, I said, leave the way it is. And I went back and talked to my grandfather about it. And I said, yeah, they said they don't have anything else, really. He said, bullshit. He said, that's bullshit. He goes, they got all kinds of jobs. He goes, but what they're doing is they're trying to fill, they have to fill so many. Like every month the recruiter's here in town, they got to fill 30 infantry guys. And they only got one computer guy and one engineer and one carpenter or one electrician. And they, they save those for the guys who come in there and be like, well, I got to have that. Or I, you know, or, or they give like a $10,000, $20,000 bonus for guys that take those jobs. Well, he said, go back here and tell them to fuck off. You're not going. And they call you when they got some more jobs available. So I took his suggestion and went back and told them to fuck off. I said, I'm not going. Never mind. I changed my mind. And uh, when you get some other stuff available, call me and let me know. It was probably 24 hours. They called me. He said, come in. Let's talk you know so uh thank god he did that for me you know because uh I, I ended up going into communications um and and it was it was really cool uh i got to learn a lot about it, it was like the early like mid 90s you know like computers and net networking and all that stuff was just coming to life um and they sent me to I went to boot camp in Paris Island in, Cal- in South Carolina, um, which is 12 weeks, the longest of all the military boot camps. Um, and I kind of t- take my recovery, too, like, like, uh, like going through boot camp. I mean, you almost have to surrender when you go in there. Because if you fight, fight it at all, they're going to make your life hell. And, and they, they weren't allowed to put their hands on you, but they were allowed to remove you from their space. <laughs> so they made sure to make sure you were in their space if you did something wrong, so that they could remove you from their space. You know what I mean? I mean, there's ways around all that. You know, don't touch, uh, don't you know, don't haze people and and whatnot. So, uh, but I, I mean, a friend of mine from Floyd Central went to boot camp with me. We didn't right. tell anybody that we were friends. We just kind of went through it together. So I had somebody there to talk to. You know, I had somebody that I knew, and it was. You know, fifty-five or sixty guys living in a, a, a squad bay, which is you know like a hundred foot by fifty foot room, both bunk beds lined all up and down it, like just like Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Same thing. I mean, there's there's no difference. Um, and it it was rough, man. I mean, it was. Uh, you know, they they uh, they put us through it. You know, we lost a lot of guys. You know, in that three months, we lost maybe twenty guys in that three months. But that's that was the point of it. You know, they wanted to get those guys out of there, and they wanted to, to, to build a brotherhood between us, between our group. And there, and there was, I, I want to say, there was probably twenty something different squad bays of fifty plus guys in them, and that was that was just our group. Our platoon was in that squad bay. You know, learning. You know, they, they taught us basic riflemen to to. They sat us in class. You know, we had to sit classes and learn about the history of the Marine Corps, and 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 they really broke you down, man. They broke you down to your most simplest form so that they could build you back up into this machine, you know. Um, and and they have their little ditties just like keep coming back. They have yeah. shit like kill, 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 blood makes the grass grow, you know. I mean, <laughs> that's just, it, it almost re- relates to recovery for me, you know, for for the way that you actually have to surrender. and You have to let go absolutely when you go in there or your life is going to be hell, you know. And once you do that, and, and, and the power that that group of men had once we did that. So we got to the point where if one guy got in trouble or if one guy was being punished, we would all go do what he was doing to be punished. We ended up just becoming one, you know, as a group. Um, it, it was a real brotherhood. And after boot camp, uh, they send you to a little thing called MCT, and that's Marine Combat Training. And you spend a month pretty much in the woods, uh, with a backpack and a rifle, and, and you get to throw grenades, and you get to shoot rocket launchers, and I loved it. Man, yeah. It was awesome. Uh, yeah, North Carolina. And uh, we get to blow up tanks, and we get to shoot mortar. We get to shoot 50 cows, you know. Uh, and that's all you did, day in and day out for 30 straight days. Um, and they gave you the weekends off. It was the first time you had any freedom in, like, four months or so, you know. And, and, and that was when I really started hitting the bars, uh, and and alcoholism wasn't even a word to me then, you know, it was never even brought up. Anybody didn't know any alcohol, I didn't know what alcoholism was. Yeah, uh, I just knew that we worked hard and played hard, and that's just what we did. Yeah, it's
0: super, and it's that's cultural in the military long before yeah. Travis showed up. Oh, yeah, know? I mean, that's uh, yeah. that's what they do.
2: Yeah, it was uh. It was, a, it was a journey, man. It was really, really, I'm, I mean, it made me who I am today, you know. And, and, uh, sure, yeah. And, uh, my I, brother went in the Army, and I it turned him from a boy to a man. Yeah, uh, I mean, I didn't was... know how to shave when I went into the Marines. I didn't know how to shave my face. They taught me how to shave. You know, they, they, they take a boy and turn you into a man. Yeah. Um, they teach you discipline. They teach you honor, and they teach you courage, and they teach you commitment. You know, the, the motto of the Marine Corps is always faithful you know um I was given a lot of tools by them you know I I learned a lot and I was able to even refer back to some of that when I was trying to get sober you know to, to, to learn that it was a war I was going to be fighting you know and that's what they do they say they they take three months of your life and transform you into this other person and then they take another month after that and teach you how to survive in a war and that's kind of what rehab or recovery is. I mean, they take you for a few months and transform you. And then they give you the tools to go out there and fight this war that we're fighting, you know. Uh, and that's what it is, you know, to me. Um, I don't know, man. I, I'm just real thankful for, for being able to have that time to get to to yeah. to get to do that.
0: So How uh, long did you stay in? Yeah?
2: I was in for a total of eight years. Um it was four years active duty, four or five years active duty. And then they put you on inactive reserve for a couple years after that, which means they can call you back whenever they want. You're supposed to check in every month. And uh, they sent me a letter asking me to come back. You know, it was during Iraq and Afghanistan. And all they sent me a letter asking me to come back, early 2000s, and I just kind of threw it away in the garbage. You know, I, I said, well, if they're going to ask, my answer is no. You know, um, but... At that point, if I had not have changed from, from that 0311 position in the Marines to, to what I did, I would have went straight to Afghanistan. Um, I, I, most of my friends all went to the Persian Gulf at that point whenever we got done with that training. The way it works is they send you to a school. It's almost like an on-the-job training school uh, yep. for a certain amount of time depending on what that job is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those guys, their on-the-job training was pretty much over.
0: I remember in the Army they call it EIT or something. Yeah. There's a there was um, a you know, the, the MOS is what it's called. Pretty, I mean, yeah. Military
2: occupational specialty. But um In the Marines. Yeah. So I got to go to Quantico, Virginia. And that's where the FBI Academy <clears> is. Um. And my friend that I went in with, my best friend from high school, uh Jeffrey. He was a aircraft maintenance guy, and he ended up going to Buford, South Carolina, to his school. Well, I went to Virginia, up by D.C., to where the FBI Academy is. Yeah. And uh, I think I started getting pretty depressed around then, you know. Uh, I was feeling alone, you know. And, it, and that first year in the Marines, it's kind of like a rite of passage. You know, that first year, you get fucking hazed. I mean, you get— They treat you pretty fucking hard, you know. The guys that have been in for a year or two or three years, you got to go through this rite of passage, and it takes about a year uh, after you come in before they let up Um, from from what they call pinning on your chevrons as you progress through your ranks. I mean, they stab you in the chest with you know till you're bleeding. Uh, You know, I've seen guys get wrapped up in and. Bunk mattresses and duct taped and thrown off the second floor of of barracks. You know, uh, how much do you trust me? You know, it's it's all about that that trust and yeah. and uh, so that first year was rough, man. I mean, I, I was pretty depressed. I was homesick a lot. I, I flew back here to hang out with my friends a lot on the weekends when I could, when I could afford it. Um, but I remember getting pretty depressed around around that time, and and uh, I was. Some days I was getting so depressed I would even, like, just go to bed at, like, 6 o'clock at night just because I wanted the day to be over with, you know. Like, I just, I, I didn't know what was wrong with me, you know. And uh, But after that, that, that military occupational specialty school, you end up getting your first orders uh, overseas or, or wherever you're going to go to serve at least two years. You serve at least two years at your first duty station. And I got orders to the Persian Gulf. Anyways. <laughs> you know, I thought I had avoided that. That, uh, But by the time that I finished, uh, by the time I got done with my school, which was nine months long, um, I was redirected. They had changed some things. Some stuff had gone on in the Gulf. Uh, that, that first Iraq war, um, it was more of an error strike war you know that was more of bombs over baghdad right uh we didn't really send a lot of troops in um they prepared us well for it to go um so i got rerouted to california back to cali going back to cali uh so i got sent to california back to california and uh I don't know, man. I think that time I was probably 19 or so, 1920, somewhere in there. And and, and uh, There's a funny thing about California, right? Southern California. There's this little place called Tijuana, right? Yep. It's like 30 minutes away from the Marine barracks. Well, everybody in the southern half of California that's not 21, that can't drink, where do they go? Well, Tijuana. <laughs> you park your fucking car at the border. You walk in to get a taxi to Tijuana, and it's $10.00. At every bar, all you can drink all night long. You know, I thought I had, I had found the holy grail. Mm-hmm. You know, like I mean, that was all that we did. Like we would, we would in California, we'd go to our jobs, you know, do our thing, and and on the base, and then on Friday, man, we got done about four or five o'clock at night, and we were getting ready to go to Tijuana every weekend. That's all we did, and and I woke up in so many. Mexican bars and drinking tequila and and seeing people getting fights and beer bottles bashing people's faces and and I mean it was wild. but I loved it. you know I loved that chaos. I don't I, don't, I guess I was just uh, progressing yeah in, in my illness and, and nobody ever said a word you know about it about hey man, maybe you need to slow down a little bit or but you know it was kind of like one of those things, even like bars in San Diego in California. They say uh, there's a lot of signs on a lot of bars that say Marines are not welcome here, mm-hmm. because they know they're going to break shit and they're going to yeah. get in fight. I mean, they're, the, the ego level of, of of a Marine in a bar with some alcohol fuel to add to it. I mean, yep. it it's just you know, I, it's, Y'all crazy scared look, me. It, it's crazy. It's crazy. Look back, I, I mean, I, nice I mean, <laughs> it's it's nuts, man. I mean, I uh, I don't know what they have to prove. I, I don't really know. Um, That's definitely an interesting point. Yeah, but, you really wouldn't think you'd have anything to prove, right? Yeah, I mean, at that you point, proving yourself—you've yeah. you've done
0: this thing that few people do, right? And, uh, uh, but no, I got some more almost.
2: Yeah, you know, the few, the proud. I mean, they—they they, they really program you to to be a machine. Uh, it's like during a time of war, you know. I mean, they don't expect you to think about what you're going to do. You're—you just act. I mean, you just our program to just be a robot and do what you're supposed to do you know I mean uh, uh,
0: So did you, end up, you didn't end up actually in any combat
2: no, no. Uh, I, well, I didn't said, my last year I had to go over to Japan for weird. a year yeah. and the base was in mainland Japan it wasn't uh, okinawa it was mainland Japan close to Hiroshima and uh, I got to spend some time in Tokyo and I, the, the, the base I was on, the, the goal of that base was to patrol the no-fly zone between North and South Korea. So we covered, we were actually the first line of defense for if North Korea invaded South Korea. Um, and thank God they didn't, because we probably would have been the first ones to die. Uh, that whole Kim Jong-un or Il or whatever, uh, the guy was crazy, you know, and, and they had us there. We had stealths and... And harriers and all kinds of, of planes that were coming and going every hour you know patrolling that no fly zone And if north korea stepped across that line that we were going to be at war with north korea um so that was a an exciting year but before i had to go to japan when i was in california a lot of my friends were getting out of the marines and staying there you know in california because they were from Wisconsin, or they were from <laughs> Idaho, or Montana, or they weren't going back to where they were from. They were staying in California. Well, a lot of my friends in the Marines started selling drugs, and I fell in with the wrong group of guys and ended up. We started running a lot of things out of Mexico into California at that time. That and that was one of the reasons I, that I was offered to go to Japan and I took it because I felt like you know hey new place I'm not taking me with me right I'll go somewhere else and I'll be better there uh, but it was it, it got bad you know I mean all of them were dating strippers and all of them were were you know selling ecstasy and, and 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 I was doing all of it you know I was doing it with them on the weekends and then going back to being a marine on the week during work you know and, and uh, it was tough because they were all out and I was still in so I there's plenty of times when i showed up at formation at seven o'clock in the morning and hadn't been to bed. You know, and go for a three mile run. Yeah, But I was 19, 20 years old. Right, I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> I couldn't do that today. But then it was like not that big of a deal. Uh, and another thing, too, like co- coming back from Tijuana, all the drinking, we started to drive back to base. But because of those military stickers, there was always, uh, you know, roadblocks. But because of, you had a, a Marine sticker on your car that showed you were on the Marine base, they just waved you on through. They never even stopped us ever. So it was like a free pass. Hmm. Well, those guys are, you know, if they're willing to die for their country, then we're going to let them get drunk and drive home. You know, no big deal. Right. Um, so, it, it. I think that time in California, once I got there, it, it really started escalating. Uh, but I was doing cocaine, and I was doing ecstasy, and I was doing all the stuff that all my friends that weren't in the military were doing. You know, I was doing it on the weekends. You know, I'd keep it to the weekends. Just the weekends. If I just do it on the weekends, I don't have a problem. You know? Uh, so... Anyways, uh, I thought, you know, well, I I, I started feeling like I was getting a, to have a problem. If I got drug tested, I got thrown out. Right. There's no doubt about it. I mean, in a heartbeat, they would have threw me out. Um, and I was concerned. Last thing you want to get is a dishonorable discharge from the military. You can't own a gun. You can't own a home. You can't, I mean, just, it's like worse than being a felon to get a dishonorable discharge. Um, so I said, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go to Japan. And... uh Went over there, did a bunch of exercises with uh, South Korea. Um, spent some time in Tokyo hitting the bars in rapungi, And, and uh, you know, Japan's one of those places where drugs are like a sin over there. I mean, like, if you get caught with, like, a joint, you're going to jail for, like, 20 years. Yes. I mean, that's just how it is over there. They, they, don't, they don't play around with that stuff. So the alcohol escalated a lot when I was there for that year. You drink a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, they got beer machines. That's illegal. They got beer machines. You can walk up any age kid and put a couple dollars in a machine and get a beer out, like a Coke machine, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that, too. When I went to Japan, them guys, uh,
0: we landed in uh, this was a very – spirit was one of my big spiritual experiences was going to Japan because I went there sober, and it was the first time I was you – know, I got sent over there the 10 days after I got off probation. Yeah, but that was one of my buddies who at work there, you know, when we stopped and we checked in the hotel, uh, out of everything we were doing, the fact that the vending machine on the hotel floor sold liquor, uh, and beers. You know, you could get these jack and cokes in a can and yep. all this. I mean, that was like the high point, you know, I like
2: <laughs> Yeah. Catch a train, get a big bottle of beer and we went to Hiroshima and went to ground zero where the you know the atom bomb was dropped, and I've been to Nagasaki where that happened. I have to. It was it was a uh, it was an experience, man. You know, like uh, they got a, a place called Peace Park. Yep, I've been to Peace Park, man. And uh, they got a little museum in there, yep. and that museum's got like wax figures in there with their skin melting off of them. Yep. and shit. And they got TVs going with the day the bomb was dropped on them, and women holding babies that are melting in their arms. And yeah, man. And that you was got rough. two Marines with shaved heads walk in, and there's like a whole group of Japanese school kids in there on a field trip and you could have heard a pin drop i mean it was like me and him looked at each other and we were like yeah let's get out of here yeah the day that
0: that particular day and uh, i could almost do a whole podcast on it but yeah. i had one day i was there for a few weeks but i had one day that was just magic in nagasaki where i started out in southern nagasaki meditated at a confucian temple started my day out like that and i just rode that trolley from the south end to the north end, getting off just about every stop and exploring. That's awesome. And the end of my day in a in a AA meeting up there by Peace Park. Cool. At the end of the day, and uh, awesome. it was after that real super heaviness because it's heavy there, man. Oh yeah. Uh, like you said, you're looking at the that museum and that Peace Park, and you and there's a there's one corner the one corner of the church is still standing. Like there's yep. was that picture where the, everything is just
2: like completely the frame of the building. flattened. Yeah.
0: Everything is flattened, and there's like this one foot by one foot corner of this brick church that was standing 15 20 feet tall Mm -hmm. and that's the only thing and it's still there you know that that corner man and you can look at that picture where everything looks like i mean just an ashen desert vaporized except for that corner of that church
2: yeah it's it's powerful and then as a white dude and that
0: oh yeah you said that you know shaved head marines or whatever but i mean just as like knowing that you're an american and you're standing there and you're like my fucking people did this, right? You know, uh, now they. You, there was a knowing smile I was getting from people because I was really taking it in, you know, and and um, and I think they could feel that. Yeah. You know, you get these like kind of knowing smile kind of thing, like you're almost like it's okay, dude. Yeah. But go ahead with the. No, so um... what happened when you? I mean, so that was about the time you're starting to get out. Was toward the end of your.
2: Yeah, I. Uh... I spent a, a lot of time uh, in Japan in the bars just because that was kind of socially accepted there, you know, and, and the only Americans that I knew were on the base. You know, there was no Americans outside the gates. I mean, people think that Japanese people, like, love Americans, and that's not really the case. Hmm. Uh, they burned American flags in front of the base a lot. Oh, really? Uh, during... The dates yeah. of the bombs were dropped. There was times where we were not allowed to leave the base. Like, yeah. it was a danger yeah. for us and, and certain parts of cities that we weren't allowed to go. Um, but it was an experience, man. I mean, it was, it was really cool. Uh, Japan, they say, is the size of California with half the population of the United States. And that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's something else to go there yeah. and see these people. They're living in, a whole family's living in an apartment as big as your kitchen. Yeah. And they're paying two grand a month for it and that one room's got a kitchenette and a toilet in the corner and, you know, four or five people living in it. And that's normal. Yeah, Like, that's their normal way of life yep. there, you know. It's, Packed uh, in. I, I flew from Tokyo to Seattle uh, after I was there for about 13 or 14 months. And when I got off the plane in Seattle, I kissed the ground, you know. I mean, I, I enjoyed being in Japan, but I didn't, never want to leave this country again. You don't realize what you have and what we have as Americans here. here. You don't. You have no idea uh, until you go and live in one of these other countries yep. and, and really see how these people live. Yep. Unfortunately, um, they've been sent to a lot of places for work, in yeah. Thailand and
0: Korea and Japan and yeah. Singapore and quite a few places. And, yeah, uh,
2: yeah, we got it made here. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, it, it's, it gives you a whole different perspective man on on this country and
0: i've never been comfortable out of the country i know some of us because of my alcoholism and the fear-based living yeah uh for most part that's the other thing about that japan trip was the first time i was truly free with my spirit and and when i when i was there uh i was a free man so i felt there was a completely different aura around me yeah but i've been to places where i totally didn't feel safe man Yep. Totally. Turkey's one of them. Golly, man. Uh, Hell, I thought, you know, every minute I thought somebody was eyeballing me, kill me. I thought, I'm not going to leave Turkey.
2: Yeah. That's how I felt sometimes in in some of those places, like in Tokyo or, or, and, and, you know, Tokyo's one of those places in in Japan where I met people from Russia and Nigeria and Brazil. Yeah. I mean, it's like one of those melting pots of the world, you know, like where it's like New York times a thousand. Yeah. You know, um, we didn't spend much time there, a little bit, but yeah. Uh, but you know, it's all part of the journey for me. Yeah. And, and uh, so Seattle. Yeah, so I, I flew into Seattle, uh, coming back, kissed the ground, and uh, I spent a few more months in the Marines out in California. Um, through separations, they they kind of they kind of teach you how to be a civilian again, you know, because you can't really keep doing what you're doing and not scare everybody away around you when you come out, yeah. you know? I mean, uh, like
0: coming out of jail, you got to go through like halfway houses. Yeah, it's it's kind of
2: like <laughs> yeah, that's what they do. They 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 give you classes on reintegrate you into society, right, right? That's what they do. Uh they they teach you how to, you know, be polite without tearing somebody's head off and and uh they did, they just kind of uh, of tone you down a little bit, you know? Yeah. So that takes a few months when you come back or when you're getting ready to separate, so um, I got out, um, out there, and and flew home. Uh, moved back in with my grandparents here, uh, and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do at that point, you know. Um, and I was using, you know, still on the weekends, and 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 some blow here and there or whatever, you know. But it was the weekends, pretty much, except the drinking. And drinking was one of those things where I was always like, you know, I could give up anything, but there's no way I could ever give up alcohol. Hmm. Like that's my one thing. That like that's 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 my one thing that I've got to always have. I always have that. Would you drink? You know, mostly in the beginning <laughs> or in the oh, end? Has a mostly usually uh, Miller Light, really. Yeah, me too, guys. I, uh, uh, had and I mean, police talked on Miller Lite all the time. There's, there's probably not a picture of me in, like, a 10-year span without one in my hand, yeah, <laughs> you know? I through old pictures. And <laughs> like, oh, my God. One in the my kids,
0: one sitting on the table, one in my hand someplace.
2: My two girls, when they were, like, two and three, my wife would go to the grocery store and walk down the beer aisle, and they would point at the Miller Lite and go, Daddy! <laughs> you know I mean? That's how it was. That's how it was, you yeah. know? I'd stop on the way home from work and get a, a 12-pack at the Beer Cave, drink six of them before I got home and six more before I went to bed, and the next day I'd get them to do it over again. Yeah. Uh, and that I went on for think a long time. I not think about it. Huh? You Didn't think a thing about no, it. No, no, no. That's, that's not, not even getting drunk. No, I, I wasn't an alcoholic. Those people live under bridges. Uh, but yeah, I came back here a, and and uh, went to work um, for like a little consulting company, a little engineering company, and, and did work worked at Humana for a while and Ford, and, and just kind of went around Louisville to some different places and and uh, got real jobs. Got real jobs, but. Really started hitting that Louisville bar scene heavy, mm-hmm. I mean heavy, uh, and it just progressed, man. You know, uh, over those next few years, it it progressed uh, to 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 doing cocaine on the weekends, to doing it once a week, to and all of a sudden I started losing jobs, and I started I lost I had a condo, I lost my condo, um, but I didn't have a problem. You know, um, I always found another job. Being a Marine, I mean, most of the time you you just put the veteran on the on the application nine times out of ten or your resume, and you get hired a lot of places. Like those big companies like Humana and Ford and GE, and they they really push to hire veterans. You know, yeah. they want people that have gone through that discipline and that. Right. Yeah. You know, if you,
0: that's that's like a college degree kind of thing. I mean, you have completed something. It's ever been as good yeah. as that. It says this dude is has done something.
2: Yeah. Yeah so I guess um As a matter of fact it's a little better than that in
0: my world you know the other thing I always thought about you know, is like if you even help you put on there, you're an Eagle Scout yeah you know you gotta well, they love that shit you completed something you yeah know, you actually
2: yeah they love that shit and I think
0: that's really all a college degree is too is it's a, it's a, it's a check mark yes I have completed something you know yeah. if you completed something we can get you to complete something again now if you ain't never done shit we're gonna hire somebody else
2: yeah um so, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was in a condo and, and I had burned bridges with just about every big company in town, you know, from, I worked at lg I worked at Ford, I worked at Humana, all the big, big names in Louisville, I burned bridges with all of them uh, due to my drinking and partying. But I, I was single, you know, I didn't, didn't have any issues. I had met my wife now... Um and she liked to party just as much as I did. You know? I mean, that's what we did. That was our thing. We went out. That's what we did every Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, you yeah, know. That's
0: how I we met. You yeah. Know? Me and you have the same story there too, you yeah. know. I mean it was it's how we met and we like to do that together and
2: Yeah. And and uh and um, you know, the first night that we ever hung out, like our first date, uh, we were at my condo and it was like Five o'clock in the morning, and we're still awake, sitting there. And I was like, I got something to tell you. She's like, what? And I was like, yeah, I was in the bathroom doing cocaine all night with some guys uh, at the at the club. And she kind of looked at me. She goes, oh, me too. <laughs> same dudes? You know, I was like, oh. No, she's in the girls' bathroom the whole time doing the same thing. We were both sitting there looking at each other at five o'clock in the morning just start laughing, you yeah. know. And, and uh, we became, uh, you know, using partners and and. And that's just what we did. These people that say, uh, you know, I hid it from my wife for 10 years and she never knew. And I'm just like, I don't know how the hell that's even possible to have a relationship with someone and to not. Like, I don't think a crackhead could date somebody who's sober and it'd be okay. You know, I mean, you're going to be a crackhead. You better be dating somebody that's a crackhead, you know. I did pull it off. I don't know how. I don't I I can't imagine because she
0: she stopped when she got child wanting children and that kind of stuff. And she put it away. And I pretended to. Right. I kept on drinking, but I didn't let on any kind of way that I was drinking at the level that I, you yeah. know, I showed for I showed one beer for every six I drank, you know. Yeah.
2: Well, eventually, uh, you know, eventually it caught up with me. Um, my wife ended up getting pregnant. Uh, we were just still dating at the time, or we may have even been broke up at the time, you know. And uh, I always like when those lines are dropped. Yeah, just ended up getting pregnant. Yeah, we
0: we're not, really not sure how. Yeah, we don't know uh, what happened, <laughs> but
2: one day she just said, hey, I need to talk to you, and uh, I said, hmm, I can already tell where this is going. Uh, so I was going to be a dad, you know, and uh, it, it really started wrapping my head around a lot of th- – I had to question a lot of things at that point, you know. Uh, what was I doing with my life? And, and I didn't really have a career because I bounced around so many places and lost so many jobs and, and – uh you know, uh, we, I was dating somebody else, you know, I was dating another girl from down here in New Albany. And, uh, so, uh, it, it just weighed on my soul, you know, about I was going to have this, this little girl, uh, and we found out it was going to be a girl and, uh, you know, I, I didn't want her to grow up like I did. I didn't want to grow her to grow up with a stepdad and a, another family and to feel the way that I had to feel you know and and I felt like if I didn't at least one time just try with everything that I had to work things out with her for 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 my life and for my daughter that I wasn't really doing it justice I wasn't really you know I couldn't say that I did everything I could do you know I wanted to to at least for her for that chance And I loved my wife. I mean, my wife now, we're married. I love her to death. You know, I love her more than anything. And I did at the time, too. But I was, being in love with somebody, when you're in that madness of that alcoholism and this and that, it's almost like wanting to be sober, but you can't. Yeah. Like, I wanted to just be with her, and I just wanted everything to work out. But I just couldn't. Like, until you're ready until you, you can actually be ready to do that. It's a
0: piece of that blocking me from the sunlight of the spirit yeah. thing. You know, we look at it like, is that that's just limited to like a block of God, but it blocks you from sunlight from anywhere. And I was that sunlight in a relationship that's yeah. possible is blocked because yep. it just can't get through that. Fog. Right.
2: Right. And I wanted that, you know, I wanted, I wanted my daughter to grow up with her mom and dad together and, uh, to have what I didn't have, you know? So I was dating somebody else. I was living in a house here in New Albany with another girl when I, um, about, uh, probably six months into the pregnancy or so, or, or right after my daughter was born, I can't remember somewhere in there. I, we sat and talked about it and we said, okay, we're going to give this a go. You know, we're going to, I love you. You love me. We're, we got at least try to, to, to do this right. You know, we got this thing on our hands. (laughs) So, so yeah. So I told the girl I was living with, I said, I'm going to try to work things out with, with Cindy. And, uh, and, uh, we got an apartment over off Barstown Road and started trying to raise our daughter. And I don't know, maybe a few months after we got that apartment, the phone rings. And the girl that I was living with is on the other line and says, we need to talk. (laughs) I'm like, I've heard that before. She's pregnant. So now I have to go tell my wife, now, my wife, she was we were just living here at the other time. I have to go tell her that I have this other girl pregnant, uh, that I'm going to have another child with this other girl now that I'm trying to work things out with her. You know, it was, it was, uh, it, it was very, very, I don't know, man. I don't, I, I don't, sometimes I don't know how we made it through it because uh, just like that's how I said that scream from my mom, like when I broke her heart, Cindy left the same scream. I heard the same heartbreak. I heard her heartbreak again. You know? She was
0: aware of the everything else. Yes,
2: but but I told her I was going to leave her, and I did, you know, and uh, it, it it was hard, man. I, I mean, I, yeah. I I mean it was it was fucking tough, you know, and and next thing you know, I've got two daughters that are, you know, fourteen months apart, and Cindy's now a stepmom, you know, she's I got this other little girl on the weekends, and now. You know, and, and I didn't want that to happen. And now it's happening anyways. And, well, the only fucking way I know how to deal with that is just to get fucked up. You know, that was the only tool I had in my toolbox, you know, besides the sledgehammer. I numb it. I, yeah, because, you know, j- just like, you know, I don't want to feel these th- I felt so guilty and so much shame. And, and I had to tell my family. And, and uh, it was so fucking overwhelming, dude. I mean, it was like... I didn't even know if I could do it. I didn't know what was gonna happen. I didn't know if I could even go on. Now I've got two daughters. You know, people are talking about it. People, you know, this and that, and he's this, and he's that, and he's done that. You know, and and uh, it was tough. It was fucking tough. And she stuck by me. You know, she stayed when she didn't have to stay. Uh, I don't know if I would have stayed if she'd have said, "Hey, I gotta tell you something. I'm pregnant." You know, you're gonna it, stay with me, yours. and it's not yours. And uh, when we were split up, you know, it, it just happened. And and uh, you know what, I'd have been like, yeah, fucking see you later. I'm out. I'd have been so fucking hurt, and she was fucking heartbroken. And that began a serious cycle of toxicity. You know, where she could do whatever she wanted because she had justification now, and I felt like I owed it to her to let her do whatever she wanted to, and. I had done this, you know, I had fucked up so bad that I deserved whatever the fuck I got, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it was a dark, dark time, man. It was dark. Uh, we uh, we ended up getting married um, down in Florida. We went down to Florida and got married in Siesta Key um, and came back and... <clears throat> Um, the, my second daughter, um, her mom at this time, she was about, um, my second, my, my middle daughter was about a year old or so, year and a half old, two years, somewhere right in there. And, uh, some weird shit just started going down, man. And I was a big drinker and did some Coke on the weekends. You know, I was doing blow here and there and, and, uh, maybe smoking some meth or something stupid here and there. But, uh drinking every day but some weird shit started happening where she started asking me for money a lot you know the little girl's mom did and she started looking a little different and and acting a little different and and that's about the time heroin really really hit in this area um and i said something to her mom i said do you think maybe she's you know using heroin no no she wouldn't do that she wouldn't do that we'll come to find out my daughter came over to the house and she was like uh I said, what'd you do last night? Because I got her on the weekends, you know. She said, oh, me and Mommy stayed at Billy's. I said, Billy's? I said, "Uh, well, do you got a room at Billy's? She said, no. You know, the sweetest little pigtails, two-year-old little girl. No. I said, well, where did you sleep on? In the bed with Mommy and Billy? And she's like, no. And I was like, what the fuck? I said, well, where'd you sleep? On the couch in the living room? She said, "No, Billy doesn't have a couch," and I said, "Well, where'd you sleep at, honey?" And she said, "On the floor in the living room." And that was it for me, dude. You know, that was I was I knew, I knew who the guy was, and I knew what was going on. They were shooting dope, and I I went to a lawyer and I had him print up papers to for her to sign her rights over to me. Um, and at two years old, me and my wife took my middle daughter in, full time. Um, and, it, you know, it was it was one of those things where it was tough, man, because I could see a lot of that, like, where my, I could see my stepfather, how he treated me different. And I know she didn't mean to treat her different. She never meant to treat her any other way, but she called her mom, you know. Um, she used to tell her, I wish that I came out of your belly, hmm. you know, stuff like that. It was tough, man. I mean, it was fucking tough. And the, the only fucking tools that I had were fucking alcohol, pouring booze down my throat, and we would get a babysitter sometimes on the weekends and we'd stay up all night and do blow or we'd fucking, you know, do whatever, eat pills. Um, So, you know, at that point, uh, I was really just a heavy drinker, you know, I felt. I didn't feel like I really, and it wasn't every weekend I guess that we were doing drugs, but um, I was doing well at work. I had uh, started a new career with a company uh, here in Louisville, a boiler company, um, doing engineering stuff, uh, working, you know, doing electrical and plumbing and and working on boilers. And uh, they trained me, you know. Uh, I'd start at $12 an hour. It was $27 an hour uh, after a year. And uh, we bought a home here in Georgetown, you know, where I live now. Um, and, you know, I remember how it all started, it kind of started like one of those things, like, cause we were pretty heavy drinkers and just partied on the weekend. Well, how about we get some lower tabs this weekend? You know, that's how it started out. Like a couple of pain pills here and there. And that, uh, you know, it turned into two to 10 to 20 to a hundred. You know how the whole story goes from, from Never lower enough. tabs, to Percocets to, and it turned into O'Pana and we're snorting O'Pana, you know? And, uh, And when we didn't have it, we were sick. We started getting sick off not having opiates. Mm -hmm. I mean, getting sick. Uh, My son was born about this time. She got pregnant again um, and had my son. And we were heavy using opiates. um, And she stopped um, for a period of time when she had my son. um, Because we knew that if she didn't, they were gonna test him anyways. Probably when she had the the baby, that if he had drugs in his system or something, they were gonna take him. You know, they we we had seen this happen before. You know, like I said, smart man learns from his mistakes. Wise man learns from your mistakes. We we knew how to sidestep shit. You know, like a drug test at work, or uh, uh, you know, we we found ways to get around shit to to feed our, our addiction, our alcoholism, and and uh, I think that was about the time that the government jerked all the pills off the street. You know? And all of a sudden, now we got no, we can't get no no pills, and we've been doing pills every day, you know, along with drinking tequila and whatever else, beers every day still. And, uh, it, it just turned into chaos, and, and I think what turned into chaos is I had a friend come by, and he's like, I can't find any pills, man, but I've got some heroin. And I'm like, You know, just the whole word heroin was like, fuck, I don't want to do that. The whole stigma of that whole word, you know, like, he's like, you just got to get over it, man. You just got to get over the word. You got to get over the word heroin and just do it. And and you won't even, you won't even. Fix it. Yeah. It'll just fix you. It's it's magic. You know, it's a great medicine. And, uh, oh boy. It, uh. It's natural too. It went from bad to worse real fast. Yeah. Uh, you know, um. I was one of those people that, that whenever something got bad, like cocaine or like it started getting like to be an everyday thing, I would just be like, okay, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to do something else. So we would switch to like meth. <laughs> we would do that for a while until it got real bad. And then we switched to heroin. Well, when we switched to heroin, it wasn't like one of those things where you can just be like, okay, we're not doing that anymore. You know, it was like, I'm so fucking sick. I can't even get out of bed. Yeah. I'm so sick. That I will break into my neighbor's house and steal shit to go get myself not sick, just so I can function, to justify that I need to go to work, to make money to feed my kids and to pay my house payment. You know, um, it, it became a cycle. It was a wicked, wicked fucking cycle, um, and 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 I, I I still don't know. My grandfather passed away, um, a few years into it, and. A few months before he passed away, he was getting sick, you know, and and uh, I, I found a cure for heroin. I called my buddy up that had brought it over that day, you know, and, and this was like a couple years into it. I said, I found how to stop using heroin. I said two words, I found it. And he said what? And I said, Crystal meth. And he said, No, <laughs> no. But uh, um, I started using meth, you know, and uh, and it, it gave me energy. It made me feel better. I wasn't sick when I didn't have it. Uh, and then my grandfather passed away, and it was just too much. It was too much pain, and I just went right back on the heroin again. In that in that little bit of time there, uh, a lot of things happen, you know, uh, when you're out there chasing chasing your medicine in that cycle that you get wake up okay how am i going to get the drugs get the drugs how am i going to get them home i got to get to work on time i got to meet this guy before i get to work and i got to do this and i got to do that and it, it turns into a fucking nightmare okay and uh, how am i going to get the money to get the drugs to get to the, i got to get them to my wife too because she needs just as much as i do and i got to make sure that she has it because she's got to take care of the kids at home and i got to make sure i have it so i got to get to work and and, and i think Slowly, it just crept in where we started telling little lies to each other, and we started doing this, and, and uh, you know, there was, there was other women that listened to me and, and understood, and, and, and uh, you know, she ran off with some guy that had a bunch of drugs, and, and it, it turned into fucking chaos. I mean, it turned into to a nightmare. In that time, it was like a three-year period, I totaled 13 cars. Mm. Totaled uh, on heroin. Um, it was like every three months, you know. I ended up just starting to pay for cars in cash because when I wrecked them, I could just get another one. You know, uh, I don't know how in those thirteen car accidents. I mean, I I flipped a car over on Newburgh Road onto my work, on the way to work, flipped a car over, hiding my dope in my sock. Climbing out the car, out the top, had some guys that were at the stoplight help me push the car back over, got in the car, and drove it to work and clocked in on time. <laughs> like, that's how crazy my life was at that time. Um, I, I was in a work van. Uh, the company that I worked for, the boiler company, actually gave me permission to use my work vehicle to, to use on the weekends. I was going deer hunting. It was about 5 o'clock in the morning, and I had just done a bunch of old Pana at the time, you know. And uh, I was crossing the tracks down in Georgetown. And those trains, they stop there at those tracks and get out and get snacks and shit at the marathon all yeah. the time, you know. And the arms were down, of course, and it was four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, I pull up, and I look, the windows are real dark in the van, and I look, and there's a bunch of like street lights, and I think it's just a street light. So I go on around the arms and got fucking waxed. 38 miles an hour that train hit me. Mm. It was the only time in all those 13 accidents that I had blood. Come out of my face, and it looked like somebody took a five-gallon jug of fucking blood and dumped it all over my van. It knocked me out for a second. I broke the steering wheel with my face. Hmm. I broke all the teeth uh, from from the middle all the way down like that uh, on the back of my teeth, because my teeth hit together so hard, knocked the shoes off my feet. <laughs> when I woke up, I didn't have any shoes on. That's how hard it fucking hit me. Wow. And they said that it felt like somebody. It really felt like somebody took a baseball bat and hit me right in the fucking head with it. That was the only time out of all those accidents that I really got hurt. That I really felt it. And uh, I don't know, man. They, they said that if that train would have rolled me, if it would have just hit a foot more forward in the car, if that train would have rolled me with the train, because they were going 38 miles an hour, it took Norfolk Southern like two miles to stop. If they would have rolled me with the train, it would have killed me. There's no doubt. But because it hit a foot further back than the straight center of that van, it picked it up and flipped it off the tracks like a helicopter. And I broke the other arm on the other side and the other pole. When I woke up, when I came to, my window was up, busted out. There was blood everywhere. And I was like a foot away from the window, from my face. That train was going, kuh, 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 just right by my face. And I was like, oh, fuck. What do I do? I try to start the van and take off. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, I got to get out of here. No, that wasn't going to happen. Dude. I mean, it was fucking, looked like a Coke can. Somebody crushed it. So the cops fucking show up. I had already hidden my drugs in the rocks by the train tracks. The cops show up. They're like, we're calling an ambulance. Amos is on the way. Meanwhile, well, I'm calling my buddy. Come pick me up. He pulls up. I jump in his car and take off. I didn't go to the doctor. I didn't go to the hospital. I went home and just fucking medicated more. I just started fucking piling on the fucking pain medicine. You know, um, I had a new home. I had three children. Um, I didn't want to tell my employer that I was I didn't want them to take me to the hospital and check my blood or something. Right. You know, I'd lose my job. You know, who knows what else? I mean, I had a family that I was supporting. I, I didn't care how bad it hurt. I was going to sit there and take it. You know, uh, I had to get my jaw, my teeth all repaired, uh, but that was the only doctor that I saw for that incident. Wow. Uh, the other funny one is right before, right close to the end. You know, the end of that spree. Whenever I totaled all those vehicles, and I'm talking total. I'm talking engine in the front. seat totaled. I'm talking. Nodded out, fall asleep, off the road, hit a tree. I mean, totaled vehicles. I, uh, I had a BMW. Most of the cars were pretty nice cars, believe it or not. But I had a BMW. It was in my driveway, and I kind of live on a hill. You know where I live at. It was a stick. And I guess I was fucked up and forgot to put it in gear. And that BMW rolled backwards down my driveway while I was in the house. I didn't even know it. Across the road, across the neighbor's drive or yard, and into the neighbor's house put the trunk in the back seat and the neighbors didn't even wake up they didn't even fuck them they didn't have a clue so i was like okay fuck i I went out there and the car was gone and i'm like accusing my wife's boyfriend i'm like it's probably your fucking boyfriend stealing my fucking car you know like just out of my mind and uh so i i I get out there with a flashlight and there's tracks across the front yard i'm like he fucking drove through the yard and i start looking i'm like wait a minute I, I shining the light over across the neighbor's yard, and there's my car in their house. And I looked really close. It didn't look like it hurt the house much. It was ball brick home. So I called uh, AAA and had him come out with a tow truck. Well, I guess the police heard the call to AAA somehow because nobody in the neighborhood, it was like 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. Nobody knew. They were asleep. They didn't know. I wasn't going to wake them up until my car was in their house. So uh, AAA showed up as they were trying to get the vehicle. The police showed up, two cops, and uh, they woke the neighbor up. And, uh, yeah, that neighbor still isn't speaking to me. Um, That was his son's room, his little boy's room where that car hit. Didn't go through the brick. I don't know how it didn't go into the house. Um, There's so many times, Dan, that I should have died, and not even that, that I should have hurt or killed somebody else. There's so many. It's not even like I overdosed one time. It's like multiple 20, 30, 40 times where I shouldn't be here. Like, every day for me now is almost, like, extra, you know? Like, I don't feel like I should have been here. Like, I'm here for a reason, you know? Um, A funny story, too. uh, During that time, um, we had found the needle, you know, um, and started using intravenous drugs. And uh, my mother-in-law, she knew, you know what I mean? She had been married to an addict. She knew what was going on. She knew. And she had brought over Narcan to my house. Two doses of Narcan. And we laughed in her face. Like, come on, man. That ain't happening to me. I'm fucking smarter than that. I ain't gonna let that shit happen. Lo and behold, like two weeks after she did that and left that there and we laughed in her face, I went over to Louisville to Pookie's house, picked up my shit, and fentanyl hit the streets of Louisville. And it, I didn't know what the fuck fentanyl even was. And brought it home. And I did it. Like, my wife had hers, and I had mine, and I did it. And she was getting ready to do hers. And right when she was getting ready to do it, I said, wait, stop. Just stop. hold on a second. And as soon as I said that, I hit the fucking floor. I was gone. I was fucking dead. I mean, she said, I turned gray, my lips turned blue. Mm. If that two doses of Narcan wouldn't have been right there in that closet, and she wouldn't have gave them to me. I wouldn't be here. Yeah, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the kind of shit that's going on in my life. That's the kind of miracles. Like, people are like, it's a miracle that I did, I got a job. No, man, I'm telling you, it's a fucking miracle that I'm even fucking here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've added some miracles to my miracle This pre recovery. For a while, I thought they only existed after my sobriety date. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's some well,
2: that were before. Fuck, I mean, you know, I. That's I, amazing. Yeah, it, it it was, I don't know why, I don't even know what caused me to say, hold on, like to her to hold Because if she would have done it, my kids were home, they'd have found us both dead in the bathroom on the floor. Well, there's still that survival thing inside, it's knowing something's yeah. fucking right. I said, something's not right. I said, just hold on saying something's not right. And that right. was the last words out of my mouth. And you know what, where I was at, I was in a place that was fucking peaceful, man. It was dark, and it was fucking peaceful, and it was so, so. I had so much serenity. I just remember I felt like I was just floating in darkness, like in a dark field. And then all of a sudden, she said I was out for a couple of minutes. She said she, after she hit me that second dark hand, I still didn't come to. She was going to call 911. And uh, all of a sudden, I guess after I was out for a few minutes, she said my lips were blue. I was turned gray. I wasn't breathing. But I remember seeing like a little pinhole, like I was in a box. It was completely dark. And I saw a little pinhole like... You know, and I saw that light, it was almost like across the field, and that light kept getting closer and closer and closer and all of a sudden it was in my face and just sucked me right back into this fucking dimension. Like it was fucking wicked when it pulled me back into this fucking world. Because I was gone. And uh i fucking just start puking, I guess, from the Narcan and and of course, you know, I get up and I say, I need to try that again <laughs> yeah. You know, what a fucking complete insanity dude yeah man completely insane i just need a lower dose i need to try that again
0: just did a little too much
2: yeah yeah that was my fault you know crazy man it's crazy um so that's what my life was like before yeah. you know i mean that's that's it, and i still you know when i came into aa i still said man i don't know if i'm an alcoholic i'm not so sure if i'm an alcoholic you know and uh
0: so did you end up like hitting the bottom where you decided that you need to go to treatment or what did
2: you do? That? Well, what happened was, is that whole fucking syringe thing, you know, came to play. And I swore that was something that I would never do. Right. I said, I'll never fucking stick a needle in my arm. I'll never do that. And I found out that my wife had done it behind my back. And that was, it was, it would hurt, you know, because that was one of those things. That was one of my rules, you know, that we weren't like, I have any fucking control over it. I'm, I'm, that was one of my rules. And we're not ever going to do that. And I, I found out that she had gone off of this guy and done it behind my back. And when I found out, I went and got a bag of needles and a bag of dope and threw it on the counter. And I said, you want to get fucked up? Let's get fucked up then. And it went from fucking 60 miles an hour to 600 miles an hour overnight. I mean, it, it was a whole other fucking level. Uh, and I knew that that was going to happen. I knew it. That's why I always was so adamant about, we're not ever going to do that. You know, uh... It's why you see people go to the needle and they don't go back and ever do it the other way because it's a whole different fucking world. It's a whole different dimension of, of using. Um, just the whole act of it, man, is almost like a ritual, you know. Um, and a couple months into that, and I only used the needle for a few months. I said to her, I said, we're going to get some help. I said, we got to do something. I said, if we don't do something, we're going to lose everything. We're going to lose our kids. We're going to lose our marriage. We're going to get a divorce. I said, this is, it's it's out of control. Um, And at work, uh, I worked at GE, where I work now at the time, and um, I had been late to work 13 times that month, and I think you're allowed 10 times in a year. (laughs) I was late 13 times that month, and they were going to walk me out. They were going to fire me. And my union came to me and said, look, if you go to treatment, then we might be able to save your job. You know, if you tell them, tell them you have a problem, whatever. So I did. I went to the brook, um, and I didn't take it serious. You know, I just did it because I had to for work. That's the only reason I went. I mean, I was shooting a dope in the parking lot at the brook and going in and acting like I was trying to be sober. You know, I was carrying my daughter's piss in with me and pouring it into the drug test cup, you know, so that I could tell them I was all sober. Um, Like, you can't fucking see it on somebody's face, you know. Uh, So... I guess you can miss a couple times when you're in treatment at the Brook or whatever, you know, because it's an an outpatient. And, uh, yeah, there were a couple times I just couldn't make it. You know, I I nodded out in the parking lot one time and woke up and it was like 11 o'clock. I was like, oh, guess I'll try again tomorrow, you know. And uh, so about three weeks into it, I think Christopher kicked me out. And uh, I went back to GE and I said, well, that was a fucking joke, you know. I said, "That, that Brooks, that place sucks, you know. They don't do nothing for you. They You know, that place is a joke and uh i need more i need something more than that they're like well your only other options we can send you to florida you know we can send you down to the treatment inpatient detox php iop the whole nine yards and that's probably your only chance and my wife is on my insurance and we talked about it decided to do it together now Initially, they wouldn't let us go to the same treatment center. Being married, I guess there was a conflict of interest or what did they? They said that's never going to happen if you all go to the same treatment. There's no way that you. So, um, anyways, we got split up and, and went down to Florida. We got on a plane, went to Florida, um, handed our kids over to my mother in law, um, and went down to Florida. Um, and we decided to give it a go. You know, we decided to actually jump in and, and try to do, I'd never been to an AA meeting before in my life. I didn't even know what the fuck AA even was before I went to the Brook that, three weeks before that. I still didn't even know what a big book was. I thought it was just bigger than the other books, you know. Uh, so uh, the whole time I was in the Brook, Christopher's was like, you need to go to so many meetings a week. Whatever. I'm just signing the paper myself, you know, every day. Or having my wife sign it and then my other friend sign it and, you know, handing it back to him because you got to get your papers signed at Christopher's group yeah. that, at that time. Um so I'd never been to an AA meeting, and when I get into detox, uh, it's Boca detox in Boca Raton, Florida. Fucking amazing place. Um, you got your own suite with, you know, big screen, flat screen, and chef, and the beach, and I mean, it's fucking one of those fucking joints. Yeah. Uh, they have little H uh, and I meetings where they bring in people and let them hold right. a meeting there, you know, and and that was the first time I'd ever been to a meeting and. And, uh, this guy, you know, he's like, uh, you know, uh, all the things that you think are important to you, you know, your wife and, and your, your kids and, and your job and your house, and your boat, all that, you know, he's like, you need to give all that up to God. You need to let all that shit go. And I stood up in that meeting and I said, so what you're fucking telling me is all the shit that's important to me in my life you want me to give it away so that I can get it back. <laughs> I started laughing in his face and turned around and walked out. And I was done with AA almost at that point right there. I'm like, this is a fucking joke, you know? Um, so I stayed in detox for a few more days uh, until I was clean. They, they drug tested me. I was clean. I think it was five days, four days, five days. And... uh at that point, they they send me to a, a program called All-In Solutions in Boynton Beach, Florida. And, you know, they kept us in a house, and they didn't let us leave on any free time or anything. And they took us to meetings every day, and we had group for like eight hours a day. Um, and they had, you know, yoga one day for a couple of hours. You know, they, they did different things, you know, that— the, the whole Florida shuffle, man, it's, it's hard because I think there's like 500 treatment centers in Broward County down there. And I'd say 450 of them don't give a fuck about you. They want your insurance money. It's all a big insurance farm, pretty much, you know. And, and don't get me wrong, there's people that actually care, you know. Some people actually do give a shit down there. Um, but I, I wasn't ready, you know, I just wasn't ready. Uh, I ended up walking out of the place because they accused me of something I didn't do or something stupid. You know, oh, fuck, you don't fucking know me. You got me fucked up. I packed my bags and walked out, slept on the street that night uh, and got a hotel room and they called my family and told them that I was going to die there, you know, and that, that I was out using on the streets and, and that wasn't the case. I just was, you know, tired of their bullshit. Yeah. Um, Nine so times
0: I, out of ten, they're right. Yeah, yeah. Nine <laughs> times out of ten,
2: they're all right. Um, So I decided that I would uh, call around, you know, call some other treatment centers. And I found a treatment center that suited my program of recovery, (laughs) right? Uh, It was co-ed halfway houses. Uh, They let you do whatever the fuck you want. They just collected your insurance money. And, uh, you know, you could get high as long as you didn't uh, overdose because they couldn't call the uh, hospital. Um, So that's kind of what I did down in Florida for a while. And... uh, my wife took a different path. You know, she she jumped in and she did the work and she got a sponsor and she yelled at me a lot, you know, for not taking it serious. Uh, and she kept throwing this fucking keep coming back shit in my face. And did you, did, maybe you should go to a meeting and share about that. She would tell me, I'd be like, fuck you. Or she would, Have you called your sponsor and talked to your sponsor about this? You know, and I'm just like, oh my God, I can't. I said, you're already brainwashed. I can't do it. They fucking brainwashed you. Too late, you know? Um, so uh, I spent about three or four months down there and uh, kind of completed the program that I was in, you know? And uh, it was kind of, they do like an IOP like five days a week and then four days a week and then three days a week and then two days a week. They step you down and, and I kind of did their whole program. And, you know, it, it was a foundation, it was a footing that I got in a, it wasn't, you know, and I did not take it serious. It's it just, seed
0: planting, man. We it, it, all have yeah. to do that because we were all rejecting that shit in the beginning. You right. Know? And
2: right. And I wished I could have did what she did. All, you know, I, I could have took directions days. and I could have took suggestions and I could have just said, okay, I'm going to let go absolutely and I'm going to fucking do this. And that's what she did. You know, she's a nurse and she's very structured and they gave her, you need to do this and this and this and that's what she did, this and this and this and this. And she followed her rules and followed their suggestions and she did very well, you know. Um, so... Our house was pretty fucking trash. There was holes in the walls, you know, punch holes, this and that. Before Christmas, that was in 2018, I left Florida and came back. And she's like, I just got a couple weeks left of the program I'm in. I just want to finish the program. Meanwhile, she's terrified to fucking go home with me because she's sober and I'm not. And uh, she wouldn't plan on coming home at all, I'm sure, because I wouldn't have wanted to come home if I was her either. So I go home and, and uh, man, it was dark walking back into that house. You know, I got off that plane and got a ride home, and and it, it was it was tough, man. You know, I had put my hands on her in there. I had broke her heart. I had hurt my kids. I had, you know, all the all that fucking guilt and pain and all that. And uh, my electricity was off. My grass was two feet high, and and it was just dark. And it was winter. It was December. I had no heat, no electricity, and uh. I went to the only medicine I knew, you know. Uh, The only thing that could take away that fucking pain and that guilt and that fucking shame that I felt for all the damage and all the fucking people that I hurt, you know. Um, But the seed was planted, so I was fucked. Because now I'm getting high, but I know there's something else I could be doing. Yeah, it's dangerous
0: territory in there. I guess it's actually good in the end, but I, I, I recall that when you get that whatever, like... The old cliche in the rooms is a belly full of beer and a head full of AA or whatever, you yeah. know, when you already know there's something else. And
2: Right, right. And I, I think anybody um, that's true to their self, and, and there's some people that they're just not ever going to get this thing, you know. But some people that you know in your heart that you want to be better and you want to be a better person, you can't turn your back on. You can't, you can't unplant the seed. You just can't yeah you know once it's planted no matter how long it takes and you see people that keep coming back for 20 years and keep trying because the seed's been planted and they know that they're really a good soul and they really they they want something better they want a better life you know and uh my wife was terrified of me at that point you know I'd put my hands on her and I would never hurt I'd never hit a woman you know um but I had screamed at her, and put my hands on her, and accused her of this and accused her of that. And meanwhile, I was doing all my own bullshit, you know. I mean, it was yeah. me that was fucking doing all the things I was accusing her of, right. you know. Um, she was afraid to come home. Um, my mother in law had my kids. She was terrified to give them to me, which she should have been. Rightfully so, right? Right. Yeah. I said, there was um,
0: a couple of years when my kids were afraid to spend the night, stay here with me, and, and they were right. <laughs> yeah.
2: And And it's hard to see that at the time. But man, it, it put me in a really, really dark place. I'm sitting in a house with all this pain, and my kids are gone. My wife's gone. I can't even turn on the electricity because I don't have any money. I've got nobody to call. I was alone. I was completely alone, and it was it was more than I could take. You know, um, ended up uh, in December. I had caught a meth charge before I went to rehab. I got caught down here in New Albany with some meth and caught a possession charge on meth, and uh, that was really one of my first real consequences. I was 41 years old and never been arrested or I mean, That was a real first consequence, you know, that I got this meth charge, and and uh, of course it didn't stop me, you know, that didn't that didn't slow me down. Uh, going to Florida didn't slow me down. Nothing. My kids being taken away. Now I, I got this house with no electricity, and and. It's fucking zero degrees outside. All I got is my dog, and I got a room in the basement with a generator running outside, a little bitty generator with a gallon of gas I pour in it every night with one plug in with a little heater and a lamp. So I go to work because I still got my job back when I got back from rehab, and I come home, and I put gas in that generator and turn it on for as long as that gas runs until the lights go off and I'm sitting in that room by myself, you know. And uh, it was the loneliest place I've ever been. By far, I was the loneliest, darkest place I've ever been in. I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't even have money to put gas in the car to go to a meeting. You know. Um, barely could I afford to get to work for that first couple weeks until I got a paycheck. Well, because of all that had happened with my electricity, my electric bill was twelve hundred dollars to get the electricity turned back on. So now here I am, it's it's like Christmas time. Uh, you know, it's it's New Year, somewhere right in there. And I'm like, fuck this. You know, I, I, I'm a, I do electric work all the time. I'm going to turn my fucking electricity back on. So I go outside and I fucking hook up the power to my house. And I fucking get a hot shower that I haven't had for a month. You know, I turn the lights on. It's like the holidays, the snow's outside, everything's good. And all of a sudden, I'm downstairs kind of cleaning up a little bit. All of a sudden, all the lights go off. And then I hear that knock at the door. You know, that cop knock. Doom, <laughs> doom, doom and I'm like, fuck, so I just didn't answer the door, right, well, like, maybe 10 days later, I had to go in for this meth charge that I caught before I went, you know, to see the judge, to tell her that I went to rehab, and I'm doing great now, you know, everything's fucking fantastic in my life, uh, and tell the judge, you know, that I'm, I'm an AA now, and, uh, you know, I'm sober, and total bullshit, and, uh, they, they, you know, they're like, that's fucking great and all that. You know, we'll push your meth case back a few months give you time to find a lawyer and all that, whatever. And then at the end, she goes, but Mr. Miller, I'm going to need you to turn around and put your hands behind your back. And I was like, what? She's like, you're under arrest for theft of electricity. Felony theft in yes. Indiana. Put the handcuffs on me in a fucking suit that I wore to show everybody how fucking sober I am to the courthouse over here in New Albany. And take me downstairs and book me in. Now, uh, $1,000 bail, which I had $1,000. dollars i give it to a friend in case something happens at the courthouse. That was the only money that I had to my name. That was for my electricity to get it turned back on. Uh, and when they were booking me in at the courthouse in New Albany, well, this suit I had was hanging in the closet. I hadn't worked for like five years, right? But I had to impress the judge to show her was sober. There was a lure tab in the pocket. When they booked me in. So now I got possession of controlled substance, felony theft, and methamphetamine charge. All three charges pending. Uh, the, the guy bailed me out that I gave the money to. Now I'm broke again, back in the same spot, no electricity. Now I've got three charges. Uh, I'm like, I gotta fucking do something. I'm like, I gotta do something, dude. I don't know what to fucking do, but I gotta do something. And then I'm like, ding. Christopher. Okay, I didn't take that serious last time. Let's give it another shot. So I called the Brook, had myself evaluated, checked myself into Christopher's group, but I couldn't stop getting high. I still couldn't stop. I was using and going to the group. Uh, sometimes I didn't sleep all night just because I was still in that house. I was still in that fucking dark place, trying to fucking claw my way out, trying to do anything I can to fucking reach onto something to get out of that fucking hole, and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't fucking do it, and uh, I got kicked out of Christopher's group again, <laughs> again, um, and I went on a fucking rampage. I said, "Fuck it." This fucking this ain't this is the worst fucking time of my life. This who said getting sober was supposed to be better? Who said my life is just gonna get better and better? And it's gonna be so magical and oh Shane, oh it's life is so beautiful. You know, come on man. I didn't sign up for this bullshit. I went back to fucking doing what I did best. And I was getting fucked up. And I started failing drug tests and I started fucking getting prison terms fucking thrown at me. My mother-in-law wouldn't let me see my kids because I had agreed to take drug tests for her and I couldn't pass them. And there I was again, stuck with my fucking self, all by myself, and I didn't know what to fucking do. I mean, I was fucked. And uh, I did that for a few months. And it got darker and darker and... You know, I started hanging out with people that were selling drugs around New Albany down here and they started coming to my house and people started breaking into my house and taking shit that I didn't even have, you know, because there ain't fucking nothing in there anyways. There's fucking people breaking in and you know, there's fucking drug dealers spending the night at my house and and uh I don't know, man. Just this one day my wife came home and she was about ten months sober. She still hadn't come home yet from Florida. She was still terrified and I don't blame her. And she came home, and I had been up all night fucking shooting meth. And she walked in the house, and I didn't even know she was coming. (laughs) And I was like, oh, fuck. And she looked at me, and she said, what the fuck are you doing? She's like, what are you doing? You know, you're so much fucking stronger than this. She's coming up on a year sober, you know, and she's like, why do you think I can't come home? I'm like, I don't know, because the fucking weather's great in Florida, because you're on a fucking vacation. You know, I wouldn't want to... She goes, no, the reason I can't come home is because of fucking you. And that was hard, dude. It was hard to swallow that pill, you know, for that prescription that I wrote. It was fucking really hard. But I needed that. I needed that. And once again, AA, the hand AA reaches out to me through her and shows me through attraction, not promotion, of how much fucking better she's looking, how much better her life is going. You know, she's doing well. she got a job in Florida You know, and at that point I would have said I'd rather die than for my wife to not come home. I'd rather just fucking die. And I'm in it. But you don't know what you don't know, you know. I mean, you just don't. And I said, okay. She walked out and said, I'm not coming home. And my kids were gone. She was gone. My job had just fired me again because I couldn't make it to work on time again. You know, who gets fired twice from the same job, for the same shit, you know? They walked me out. Gee, I lost my job. I lost my family. My house was getting ready to get foreclosed on. I had all these charges pending. I was looking at going to prison. So I had to fucking just wake up. You know, one day I woke up, and I was like, it was just like a light went off in my head, you know, like, okay, God, look, I get it. If you need to take everything away from me, everything away that I think is important so that you can show me what really fucking matters, then just fucking take it all. Take the fucking house. I'll live on the street. I don't fucking care, whatever it is. I said, but I'm going to fucking go at this one more time with everything I've got. I'm going to take every fucking suggestion and I'm going to do everything that somebody tells me to do I'm going to go in here and I'm going to stay sober. And if it don't work, I'm not doing it again. Fuck this. I'm not fucking doing this again. I'm going to give it one more shot. And uh, I had been off. They had fired me about 30 days and the union was working on my getting my job back. And and I, I got up and I said, I got to go to a meeting. I got to go to a meeting. I just, I just knew I had to go to a meeting. So I went to the healing place and I went to a meeting. And then I went to the ice house. I went to another meeting. And when I was walking out of that meeting in the ice house, my phone rang, and it was my work, and they said, we got your job back. And I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. So I didn't have insurance, just got my insurance back. Immediately, I called the brook, you know, because I knew that there was something. Seeing this fucking guy and fucking all, everybody else that was in there that were just fucking glowing, you know. And I, I knew they had something I didn't fucking have. I knew that I was missing a piece of the puzzle. You know, That I, I heard an interview the other day with a Marine that said, there's 22 veterans a day that are committing suicide. And the biggest problem when they're talked to, that they said they feel when they get out of the military that it's like they lose that brotherhood and they're missing a piece of the puzzle in their life, that something's missing in their life and they don't know what it is. And these motherfuckers are killing themselves about it. you know. And I was ready to die. I mean, I was almost to the point where I would rather be dead. I would just rather die because everybody would be better off without me anyways. But I said I'm going to do this one more time God I said I'm going to fucking give it everything I've got I said I'm turning my life and my will over you I was doing my step three not even really knowing it not meaning it to be I said I'm, I'm, I'm turning this over to you I, said, I'm gonna, I, I really did a step three later on but at that point I didn't really realize I was saying God f- here's what I've done so far and this is what I've come up with <laughs> this is where I've got with all my fucking bright ideas it can't get any worse You know, when you get to the point where it can't get any worse to turn everything over to God, because before I just wanted to be like, okay, you can have this and this, and I'm going to keep my sex life, and I'm going to keep my, I'm going to give God these things to take over for me, but I'm going to keep these things because I'm good at these things, these things I'm good at. But when you get to a point where you're not good at anything anymore, where everything has been taken from you, where you're fucking defeated for me. Finally, it was probation officers and my wife leaving, my kids being yep, taken away. Yep, none of that, yep. man. None of that fucking stopped me. It, I got to the point where every idea that I had didn't work anymore. Right. You were shot. I was done. And I sat on that bed and I, I prayed and I said, God, please help me. Fuck, please help me. And I went into Christopher's group and I I fought for my seat, man. I I he said, take cigarettes to people down detox it. The healing place. I took cigarettes to people down detoxing. He said, pat your head and rub your belly at the same time. And I pat my head and rub my belly at the same time. I did whatever the fuck he said. He said, go to Spiritual Underground, stand up during the newcomer part of the meeting and tell them that you need help. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm out. I can't tell anybody. I can't tell another man I don't even know I need, I don't know any of these guys. You want me to walk in there and stand up and tell them that I'm, I have a problem and I need help. This is like seven days sober or something, you know. But I did it. And slowly... And slowly things started falling into place. You know, since I I let go absolutely and and decided to do this work and, and met Mike and met you guys,
0: Mike, your first sponsor,
2: right? Uh, you know, my life has slowly, really not slowly, my life has fucking rapidly fucking changed, right. rapidly. You look at
0: all those years before, and then you know, yeah, and then that's one of the things about this. Process, You know, we spend X amount of years, you know, whether if you're 30, 40, whatever, you know. And, and, you know, and you work these steps in four, five, six months, you know. And that's a drop in the fucking bucket, right? But it seems like, you know, it just looks like it's something insurmountable.
2: Well, I think the first time two years ago when I came to the Brook, Shane was getting a year. And I was like, holy fuck, how's that guy sober for a year? That's like forever. (laughs) That's like so long. A couple years ago, you know. He's been sober a year. Wow. You know, um, but, you know, as
0: I, I remember Mike, uh, cause I was sponsoring Mike at the time, you know, and, and I didn't know you. Uh, and I think I missed, I wasn't at the spiritual, mm-hmm. I, it's a rare day I missed spiritual underground, but I, it would have been something important. There's only yeah. been certain things. No, no I, I was after that. Was at, it, it, yeah. it was been before mankind. It was before that. Yeah. 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 Um, but who knows what it was? Uh, hell could have been sick kid. I don't know. But, uh, but he called me and told me that he, I think I got a new sponsee. <laughs> and, of course, I'm always used when, because that's what, I mean, that's like golden words when you hear one of your sponsees, because that's what we do, you know. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's hard to get in there damn thick heads that that's a that's the key to the next thing yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody wants I'm too busy and I don't know how to do it and I'm not qualified he, he wants said, I got yeah, I got this one you know, so I was tamed <laughs> and happy about it and everything but you know so many of them are that's not going to work out right and so uh, yeah he said uh, what's your name was you know so I'm always obviously interested in that dude personally because uh what I tell my people is don't worry about it right uh and it's the same thing my sponsor told me. Don't worry about it. Uh, you won't really be sponsoring him. I will be sponsoring him through you. Yeah. You got me. I'm here to help you. This is what I do next for you is coach you through this so you can get your bones on. So it's exciting when that happens because I know where the juice is and it doesn't make any difference time many generation kind of thing it is down through there. But, uh, yeah. yeah, the very next Tuesday I met you.
2: Yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't know really anybody in the group and – And uh, I I had listened to Alex's podcast because I was in Christopher's group, you know, and and that was the, I don't know why I just clicked on a podcast and listened to Alex's and, and fucking inspired the fuck out of me, man. Like I was like, wow. Yeah. Okay. That was my first experience of really somebody in the group. And, and, uh, and I went back to that second meeting at this person. I haven't missed since then, but I went back to that next meeting and uh, after the meeting, I walked over by you and you're like, Hey, you're Travis, right? I was like, how the fuck does this guy know my name? You know, I'm like, wait a minute. You're Dan from the podcast I was listening to. This guy's famous. I'm like, how the fuck does he know who I am? You know, uh, it's those little things, man. It's those little things like that. You don't realize, you just don't fucking realize how you affect somebody's life and how, how the little things like knowing knowing somebody's somebody's name. name. That's all. That's so
0: important in my life. And I bet that's a gift I have is know is remember names and, uh, and it's a crazy freaking gift, but it's crazy freaking powerful. Yeah. Just to be able to say, your name is, or like when Nick popped back in, you know, and I could say Nick, and he's like, you yeah. don't remember, didn't realize somebody's gonna remember you as a
2: yeah, uh,
0: God-given gift for when sure. When I meet
2: people now at meetings, and I, you know, they're they're newcomers. I, I try to remember their name so that way when I see them again, like this that happened on Sunday, I seen a guy at a meeting. I said. Yeah. You know Ryan. He said, "Yeah, how'd you know?" I said, "I don't remember your name, man." You know, I make an effort at because it because you know that's a gift too. Me, but you know. I also
0: make an effort. I, I, I do. You know, I, I look at people and I say their names in my head a few times and imprint it.
4: Yeah.
0: Anytime we go around the room and say, or introduce ourselves," and that's something that's missing now. But I know most of you, so I don't have yeah. to worry about focusing on the rest of you. But the one the names that I don't know, I will know it after tonight. So you picked up Mike, started doing this work, and seeing you start coming alive. Uh, yeah, man, it was weird. The beauty of watching somebody because I, you really were, uh, you know. Uh, Is I, I guess it's everybody in a sense, but there's some of them that you think, you know, I mean, because uh, in the beginning, I, you know, I didn't think you were going to stick. <laughs> uh,
2: I can't imagine why. <laughs> um,
0: there was a there was still the wall kind of thing. Yeah, even though you were sharing freely and uh and and had you know you could see that the juice was getting to you you were feeling it you know there, there was still a wall up of that going this ain't real but i'm still gonna try you know right. i mean it's like going to a movie and uh yeah i'm gonna pretend like this star wars is real for a couple hours yeah i know it really ain't yeah uh, but there was that wall there for a while but i i, I and i don't it seemed to me, and I'm not sure if this is the case or not, but to, when I broke through to knowing that you were getting somewhere was on at the Neverglades yeah, at, at Jesse's retreat there last fall, yeah, in September, yep. Um, we, but that was also the first time I actually had time to sit down and talk to you. And that's one of the things what we do when we get together outside of these rooms and do that, we should, we build those friendships and those times where you actually get to sit down and and, and really talk to somebody away yeah. from the bullshit where you're not putting on airs and. And that kind of stuff, and uh, and and that and that was that weekend. I went, hmm.
2: Yeah, I had uh, I just done it a for this real. going to make it for real. Third step, for real, for real third step. Uh, and after I'd done my third step, went down there to that retreat. Shane had given me a, a rosary necklace, like a cross, you know. And and I wore it down there. And when I went to bed that night, after I had done my third step, like, a, like I had done third steps before. you know, like I had a sponsor down in Florida, and I had a sponsor from the Healing Place when I got back. And But, yeah, I never thoroughly or never fully did any step. Yeah, when it went from your head to your heart. Right. When it really, really, really was for real on the third step for me, when I really turned my will and my life over. Yep. And Shane gave me that rosary. That night I went to sleep because I had done my third step that day, and I took that rosary off, and I set it next to my sleeping bag in my tent. And I had fucking dreams of demons coming after me, like trying to pull me into the darkness. Hmm. I'm talking like, no, you're not turning your will and your life over to God. We're keeping your will in your life, motherfucker. You're coming with us. And I mean, I woke up sweating like freaking out and I looked over and that rosary was sitting there and I took that motherfucker and I put it right back on my head and I went back to sleep and I didn't have any more bad dreams the rest oh, of the night. How about that? I'll never forget it. Never. And uh, At that time, too, that that when we went to the Neverglades, too, Miracles started happening in my life, and they started happening quick. You know, at, at that time, even though that my I had got my job back, um, I didn't have my family back, my wife back, or anything like that. But I was working on myself, and even though I had got my job back, I got a letter from my mortgage company that said they were still going to foreclose on my house. I was still going to lose my home, and I knew in my heart that if I lost my home, which is just stupid, but I knew that if I lost my home, that I was not going to get my family back anytime soon. And I was really, really torp about it. But at that time, that was the same time I did my third step. And I turned my will and my life over to God. And it was out of my hands at that point. You know, if I got to lose my house, then I was fine with it at that point. And I went down to that retreat. And we meditated in that cave. And we prayed together. And we bonded. And I came back. And there was a fucking check in my mailbox for almost the exact amount to pay my mortgage company. That I had been in one of my accidents from my 13 car wrecks that I didn't even know I was going to get. That I insurance, them. I didn't even look at where it came from. I didn't care. I just went to the bank and paid it to the mortgage company right there on the spot, and saved my home. Yeah. Because That's, I turned it over yeah. to God and I said, "Look, if it's you got to take the house, you can fucking have happen. it. It's yours. I don't need it. Fuck it. I'll yeah. go yeah. on." Yeah. This whole if concept of will. surrender, you
0: know, this giving this thing up, and how that, you know, I've been reading for whatever reason, you know, I getting these rabbit holes on books and stuff because I'm just doing what mm-hmm. we, what we, you know, what I was taught. Is to continue to grow, and some of that means reading and opening up to new ideas. But I've been reading some stuff, in the concept It's just over and over again that surrender thing, and how powerful that is to like. Uh, once I let go of it, uh, it comes. Yeah. You know, I, I don't even, I can't even. It's so you hard can't to even really put it into words in any yeah. way that makes any kind of sense whatsoever, unless you've experienced it. You know, that's the only way that you can really totally get that. But like that, you know, you go, fuck it. You know, if I lose my house, I lose my house. You know, you almost just see, you go, you you, you get to that acceptance thing. You accept it. You surrender. You go, oh, well. And then all of a sudden the problem gets fixed. Yeah. Yeah.
2: There there was times where. Trying to work on doing that on purpose. Even like in the brook. like Most times it's by accident. I was like my wife won't come home and my mother-in-law won't let me have my kids back and he's like well why don't you get sober so that you have a leg to stand on when you are trying to get these things back because if you're not sober you're not ever going to get like it was like just time after time after time like he would say things to me like i'm not so sure you're going to make it because it was almost impossible for me to let go absolutely for me to surrender and to me, the whole time I had been in AA, which was like a year in and, out, in and out, in and out, in and out, I would surrender some things, but not everything, because I just didn't believe that I just had to turn everything over to God. I mean, everything. Come on, that's a little bit dramatic. Yeah, you're almost not able to, you know. I mean yeah. you, It's, it's to,
0: to to ask that of somebody.
2: Yeah. And expect them to do it. Right. Know? It's incremental. Yeah. It, it's it's uh, you know, and and I think for me, I need proof. I need. I need proof. Like you can tell me all day about how great your life is, and, and how serene your life, is and how much serenity you have, but I need I need to see that shit, you know, and uh, like experience it. Right, right, and because um, you're seeing it around you. Right, but you actually until you start experiencing right. it yourself. Right, and and I was seeing it in the group and in, in other men, you know, and and when I seen it in one and two and three and five, and all of a sudden it went, well, maybe Shane's not so full of shit anymore. Maybe, I opened that door enough for where I said, just maybe, maybe. Now, I'm not saying yes or no, but I'm saying just maybe, and that's all it took, man. Once I opened that door of willingness just to be willing to be willing, my life has fucking changed so much today, dude. Like in the last year, from where I was at getting ready to go to prison, and, and I lost my family,
0: The fundamentals of step two. Dude. Becoming well into the I can't even.
2: The gratitude that I have right now for this program and this group of men by by showing me a better way of life and leading by example of doing the right thing, becoming better men every day, inspiring each other to do this fucking deal together. Because I know I can't do this. I know I can't. But I know that we can right now. And part of that
0: goofy thing you said a few times that keep coming back, you know, keep coming back allows you to see that this dude is consistent. You know, because yep. if you keep bouncing in and out, you keep thinking you're hitting him on a sweet spot, right? Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> <you know? laughs> that's what my head will tell me. Yeah. You know, I'm just not seeing the lows because I ain't seen the dude for a while, and he's just on another one of these things. You know, but when we when we bond and we stay in real contact, you know, again I look at these terms a lot broader to improve my conscious contact. You know the step says, uh, with you know, improve my conscious contact with my higher power, right? But. Uh, improve my conscious contact with this brotherhood and this support allows yeah. me to build that confidence that this is real and see that this is really That's what I mean. Really I, need, there. I
2: need proof. I need to see that it's real and I do see that it's real now, you know. And even if it's not real, it's way fucking better than yeah. it ever was before. Who cares? Yeah. I don't give a fuck. I do too. I run down much, that you know hole
0: sometimes. I go, you know what, man? If this I'm brainwashed,
2: shit, fuck it. This shit is so good yeah. that it can't really <laughs> be
0: real. You yeah. that's why. But okay, I'm gonna take this unreal shit. Yeah, okay. it's okay with me. Yeah. <laughs> Unreal's just as good as real. I guess uh, I'll just
2: be fucking in some unreal bullshit. And whatever, that's fine because it's way better than my life was ever. I mean, it's better than I ever imagined, man. I mean, my wife is home. We've got a closer relationship right now than we've had in 20 years. You know, and Jared used to say that all the time. I hear Jared in meetings say, you know, the bond that I have with my wife now that I'm sober is on a higher plane than anything that I ever imagined. It was comments like that that made me be like, man, I got to fucking have what that guy's got. I got to get to that point, you know, I got to fucking at least give this deal a chance, you know, where I'm I'm getting awards at work, man. There there's award programs at work. They gave me a $250 Bash Pro gift card last week. I didn't even know the award program existed. Yeah. I've been there 5 years. I'm getting uh, appreciation awards, perfect attendance awards, you know, uh, uh, I could go on for hours, dude, about all the fucking ways my life is just. Yeah. My I'm, my kids are home half, like half the time now. They are home three or four days a week usually now, and and once you know, once my mother in law is comfortable with them coming home, then they'll be able to come home, and that's okay. You know, I, I made her uncomfortable to begin with. It's time for me to make her right. comfortable yeah. again, and that's whatever it takes. You know, um, just like right. with anything else, man. It just I can't I can't express the gratitude that I have for, for our group, for the fellowship that we have. Because I didn't believe in this shit before that. Yeah. I just didn't. Like I said, when I went to other meetings and I was around other AA groups, I didn't see what I see in this group of men. And I needed to fucking see that. That's what I needed to be able to believe that this shit is real. Yeah, you know. Definitely. Okay, you can tell me all day long about how beautiful your life is. And I needed to see it in other men around me and to know that when when I was in the Marines and that if I went into a battle that I didn't have to look behind my back and it didn't matter what fucking color your skin was or what your religion was or what but we had each other's backs no matter what and that's yeah. the way it feels here right. yeah because you I, I needed that I needed that
0: earlier in the podcast you said about losing that brotherhood and then suicides and stuff you know and you meant you spoke to me or spoke and shared about the fact that you know that's you found that again here yeah you know that 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 other line right you know, I, I would like to say I'm not a big book thumper but I am. Uh, uh that creating a fellowship you crave yeah. line in there you know that how did I didn't even know that's what I was cra- really that's what I've been craving all along is this
2: yeah. you know some uh, kind of connection and
0: and, and and I was talking to Shane before this and I was talking to a friend last night and uh, that had dropped out of AA and still sober you know, been sober for 11 years or so like that but stopped getting the juice stopped being fed in AA meetings you know mm-hmm. and, and I can totally relate to that because honestly if I wasn't if I didn't have the spiritual underground I'm not so sure I'd be going to a meeting today either. Yeah, me either. Because most of the meetings I go into, I'm not having a good time. No. Uh, when we, when Spiritual Underground, I'm freaking excited about it. every Tuesday night. I'm excited every chance I get to see one of you guys in yeah. whatever capacity <clears> there <throat> is. And I love that juice flow that happens when we all get together and increase that power. Uh, you know, it's like the retreats and any other, you know, any of the other things. We'll get together at people's houses, da, 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 whatever. Uh, that combined power that keeps me, that's where my juice is today. I don't even, you know, I heard a guy, there was a guy that shared the other day and he, he, he said, uh, he put a, he put spiritual underground like a separate, as a separate entity. He didn't mean to, but he said (laughs) something about, you know, he goes, you know. Uh, man, you know, I'm, uh, the AA stuff, you know, he said, I'm loving the TSSR stuff and this spiritual underground, you know, and you put it as a different entity. Like it was really an AA meeting. I know it doesn't feel like it. It's a different kind. And we say that and it's, you know, and I will, I I won't apologize for being a little arrogant about it. Uh, I say that, I say a few things and I haven't, I don't say them a lot lately. I get quoted once in a while, uh, on them. It's kind of funny, but, uh, one of my times I was talking, I said, uh, uh, I, I have the best sponsor in the entire world. And if you don't think yours is, keep looking, cause he's out there. And I have the best home group in the universe. And if you don't think yours is, keep looking, cause it's out there. Yep. But the spiritual underground has got something special. It just yeah. does. It I just does. It. And you know, it lay, and that's that's late at the feet of Christopher's stuff, cause I wouldn't have what I have if it wasn't for him. Matter of fact, there's no three than other men in this room would have what we have yep. if it wasn't for that dude. Yep. Uh, And teaching this thing, you know, and and encouraging this this brotherhood and where this real recovery is, you know, where where the real fucking juice well resides is by bonding up and doing this thing together and supporting one another and helping pull other people up out of the hole and uh, going on to be, you know, uh, uh, my life is wrapped up around helping people recover period where well, it's TSSR yeah. or or from alcohol and addiction man and then that's where the juice is it just is and you can see people like you you know and that's the thing that, that like we said you said earlier you know they know you're sick you know and of course when you're really fucking sick it's pretty easy right mm-hmm. but but I think I actually at some level could pull off some kind of level of part you know partly sober mm-hmm. and I could pull that wool over some people's eyes right mm-hmm. uh, but but you can't pull it over our eyes anymore because we know, and you know, and you get this extra, this part of that sixth sense stuff. Mm. And, and the thing there is, is that you watch a dude change. They transform, and we, and that's what that's a gift to me, and that's what I said in the text today about like watching, being along for the ride, and what I shared last night to me, being along for the ride in a seat with, in the roller coaster with you. Uh, watching a man transform from this broken down deal to what you exhibit today and the aura and the energy that you feel in people you know i don't have to uh there's 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 an intangible that that mm. is about what you are today yeah uh that shows that this thing is really the deal and that's what attracts the other people too and that's why people come to spiritual underground they feel that yeah even through a zoom meeting yeah they feel that and you know, if they're not ready, they run like hell.
2: Mm-hmm. These fuckers are crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I
0: love. I used to love face to face meetings. When, I didn't love this, uh, but I took special interest in watching when people would be new and they would come in the meeting and need that bathroom break or whatever, you know, or or they pick up their phone right and had to go out and then poof, you know, I thought some bitch couldn't even. The juice is too heavy; they couldn't yep. even make it through a freaking meeting. I've been
2: there. I get it, you know. It's uh, it's, it's like I always tell people, and my wife said it last night, you know, that this is next-level shit. This really is next-level shit because I've been to f- different states to recovery. I've been to different, hundreds and hundreds of different meetings before I found this home group. And there's nothing that I found that's yep. on the same plane as what we've got going on here. And, you and I don't mean to be arrogant about that at all. You're right. I'm man. fucking it is. honored to be a part of it. Yep. You know what I mean? I'm proud of these group of men and proud of this home group, proud of myself, you know. And I don't want to be arrogant about it. I want to give it to everybody that I can. Every guy I meet that's new, like, how'd you do it? And I'm like, come with me this, to this meeting.
0: This is available to you. Every
2: guy I meet that's yeah. like, what are you doing? I'm like, come. there's people at work that I see that I know that they're fucked up, and they're like, hey man, what'd you do to? I'm like, come with me to this meeting, you know?
0: Yeah, along them same lines, you know, when somebody asks me to sponsor them and, uh, and that kind of thing, and maybe I, you know, nowadays it's mostly through spiritual underground stuff, but it's one of the, it's one of my requirements. You got to come to these because yeah. I can't do this by myself. You're not gonna get this from me. Right. I am not capable. You have to join this yep. to get this. Uh, it's not a uh, uh, I, we can't we can't do this just me and you. I need all of us, and that's everything about building and bringing new guys in. Right, build the army bigger because the more we get, the more powerful we are. The more powerful yeah. we are, more people we can help. Uh, you know, just love. You know, because that's another thing. We do it for real. We give it away. We, we you watch. You know. People help people, and I've been around for a little bit long enough now where I see you know those kind of like sponsorship lineage stuff where, mm. you know, people down the line are giving away to people I gave it to, yeah, and and those people are giving away to somebody else. You know, uh, uh, I I I got a couple four deep situations, man, and I'm five years sober. That's fucking crazy. Fuck
2: yeah, right? I don't the numbers in our group, man. I just you don't see that in other meetings. I mean the the, the relapse rates and the 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 sobriety birthdays. I mean, every month. Look, we're looking at six, seven, eight, nine, ten birthdays every month. You know, yep. from several ones and a bunch of multiple years of sobriety. That's not fucking common, dude. Yeah. That is not fucking normal. It isn't. We do. We have a. If you rate. don't believe that we've got something special here and something fucking way fucking different,
0: and see what people hear when we say we got something special is that they can't have it and that's not what the truth the truth is is we want to give it to you too you know what a lot of (laughs) that's why we're telling you it's special we want you to have some of it
2: a lot of people say you know hey man I know a way out you know and I want to say I know a way out but hey man I know a way in you know I know a way into this group and I know I want to be that channel of dude I know how to get into this just keep doing this right here come with me you know let me show you and uh yep it's real cool to be
0: here on day 365 doing it uh, Vlad was in here on his day 365 he? too yeah. Love that it guy. was also Wednesday by chance and he was exactly the same thing because technically you celebrated a couple hours early last night Yeah. Uh, and, and you know I don't sweat that stuff you know that's another thing about some other groups you know yeah. they would bump you next month yeah uh, you know and, and that's bullshit yeah yeah uh, like, hey, oh, dude, getting this one year—you're really going to do that to him? You know, <laughs> I mean, come on! But Vlad came in here the next day and uh, and did his on his 365. Yeah. So that's a, he, and he's just an awesome dude too, just another another miracle in around here. But uh, uh, totally fucking juiced that that you're with us, and uh, you know, I can feel our steam running out a little bit on uh, on towards the tail end of this. Plus, we've been going two hours and twenty minutes. Damn. Uh, but I would like to invite Shane yeah, if he would want absolutely. to. and You don't have to. You can just scoot around or whatever. Uh, just put the chairs over by chair so you can hear both of you. we uh, hold hands? Yeah. If you
3: want. Can sit in your lap? On my face. Because
0: <laughs> uh, I know that uh, Shane has some things. Well, I'll just say you. So last night, uh, I have a new friend, and she's adding some stuff growth to me and and teaching me some things and and she said something that just hammered me last night and it's a very simple thing and we were talking about inviting somebody because Chase is getting his three-year token tomorrow night over here at this church right behind my house and I'm gonna go over there to what, what I used to call my new Army home group uh, they meet on Thursday nights and now TSSR is on Thursday nights so I don't go to that anymore uh, but uh, we were talking about inviting a mutual friend, and we said, and I said, yeah, we should. And I couldn't really figure it out. I was just like, you know, it's just one of the things we should invite them. At least just tell her we're going to be there, you know. And uh, she said, yeah, we should, uh, uh, because that will make her feel loved. And I, I'm tearing up thinking about that man. I'm thinking, you know, man, how many times is that the right answer? I told her. I said that is that is so simply perfect. Mm. Why should you do? Why should I invite so and so? Why should I tell you? Why should I encourage you to do and reach for more?
1: Mm.
0: Why should I do that? Why should I call you in the morning? Why should I send you a text? You know why? Because it will make you feel loved. Mm.
2: That's awesome.
0: I know it hits me hard, man. So I'm gonna do a lot of things. I'm gonna start. Mm. I'm gonna start rearranging. Start doing some shit. And it's not. It's not just to make them feel. It's to let them know
3: that I love them. It's funny you said that because Travis does that with me a lot. He'll just send me a text out of blue. Have I told you lately how much I love you? Yeah, man. <laughs> that means a lot, man. Yeah, it does. Those little texts and just to feel love, you know, that's what I've always wanted my whole life. I wanted to feel loved. Yeah. That hole I was trying to fill was love. Yeah. Know? So
0: that's uh, that was kind of. I know sometimes I, I find myself I'll go, I'll go a little way out around the block to get back to here again. And the reason I said, reason I was saying that was because uh, I said, well, what we do here is we pour juice on one another, mm. right? And you know why we do that? Feel love to make you feel love. Mm. So that's why I was going to invite Shane to pour a little juice, share a little bit here. Your shirt with that. And uh, I may.
3: <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, I remember when. I've known Travis for two years now. I remember when he first came into Brook and this dude was dark, man. I'm talking about energy that I did not wanna be around, seriously, like, it was like pushing me away from him. Like, I was like, man, that that dude is in a really bad place, you know, and um, I'd see him in in aftercare when he would make it in, Uh, but, uh, um, and I always went around the room and gave everybody hugs and said hello to him. And, man, it's just like, I don't even remember saying it to him. That's, it's like I skipped him or something because – I
0: saw what you were looking out the window. Yeah, you're – Dad's out there running around in short no pants. No shirt on. on 80, <laughs>
3: it's going to be 83 in a minute. and need to get a shirtless selfie with him. <laughs> so, um, so uh, you know, I, I really don't ever remember – Really even saying hi to him. I don't even remember really approaching him. And I did that to everybody, but I don't really remember doing that with him in the beginning. But this last time he came in that day, I saw it in him, man. I could really see a totally different change. His whole aura was different, man. He had this darkness about him that was like, I mean, his color was different. Uh, the glass the sunglasses. I don't even know if he wore sunglasses on there in there the whole time, but it felt like he was just wearing these sunglasses. Just don't look at me, don't talk to me. I don't want to be here, kind of I hate deal, this you know? Place yeah, well. <laughs> that that's the energy that he had, man. And the and walls it, are up. Yeah, yes. they were they were higher than the Eiffel Tower, man. It was it was it's crazy, but um, that day he came in, man, I saw something different in him, man. And and I went up to him after the meeting. I said, dude, there's something different about you this time. I said, you need to run with it, man. And he's like, I feel it. I was like, dude, just jump in with us, man, you know. And uh, I think I said something about Spiritual Underground, too. I was like, man, you need to come to Spiritual Underground Tuesday night and uh, listen um, listen to everybody share and then try to find a sponsor, man, and just whoever jumps out at you, you know. And I remember that Tuesday night he came in, he shared that, you know, that he needed help. And afterwards uh, I walked right over to him after the meeting, and and I was like, hey, man, did anybody – he's like, Mike – I was like, "Cool, I's I, not who I thought he would pick." Yeah, I mean and that's either. how it works, you know. what I'm saying uh, people who would normally not mix, right. you know, and we do in this program. And I said, "Cool, man, you should go over and ask him," you know. And, and, and you know,
0: to and the flip side of that is how badly Mike needed him too.
3: Exactly, and I knew that too. Inside, I was like, "Oh, wow, look what God just gave Mike," yeah. you know. And, and it did it, it it upped his 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 program too. And you don't realize how much you help Mike. Right. You know, yeah. and yeah. I, I keep wanting to say his last name back. And I keep catching myself this time. You know, I've been on here enough. I think I'm, I'm getting better at that. I'll try to work at that. But, uh, man, uh, and when he came to the Everglades. Um, Neverglades. Man, Neverglades. Yeah, Neverglades. Sorry. Uh, I remember I had this cross I I'd, I'd bought from Gethsemane when we go out there for our, re- our um, retreat meeting. And uh, uh, I had bought it a year prior. And it's been hanging on my mirror ever since. I love that thing, all right? And when we pulled in there that day, um, something told me, give that cross to Travis. And I was like, I like that cross. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I was like, I like that cross. But I was like, something said, give it to him, give it to him. So I gave it to him, man. And I remember remember the whole thing, giving it to him and everything and how much he uh, loved it and uh um, he ended up giving me one that he had had on his mirror, and it's still on my mirror right now. And, uh, and then he told me that next day about that story about you know the dream mm-hmm. he had and how he grabbed it and it went away. I was like, man, that's really freaking cool, dude. Uh, you
0: know, a gift really isn't a gift unless it means something to you. True, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's where real gifts mm-hmm. are. When you, when I like that. When you, and Darren taught me that. When mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. when you're going to give somebody something of yours. and there's a little pain involved sort of 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 letting loose of it uh
3: that's where a real gift means something to somebody yeah so he he's dove into this program like in the deep end cannonball style this time man and uh and it shows i mean look where he's at today totally different person he's I want to be around him all the time, you know. <laughs> There's a
0: physical aura yeah. change. There's a mm-hmm. change in a person's very being, mm-hmm. and you know, and and you know, and then that you know, and that's that thing you know. After being again seeing it a few times, you recognize it quicker, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you know, you know, I can kind of look at you and and go, yeah,
3: yeah. That, yeah. He has a glow about him today right. that yep. he never had. That life you know?
0: had juice in the eyes and mm-hmm. all that. Uh, and y'all are getting ready to go next month out to big elk hunting trip yeah buddy colorado that uh, start a new tradition on a on a sober thing and that's something that travis right. is bringing to the party you know and that's another thing about our our family is that uh people bring all these awesome gifts to the to the family mm-hmm. you know uh and and everybody's got their little thing no matter what it is you know what it is yeah, that was a
3: bucket list thing for me to want to do in my life, and kind of found out he's been going out there for twenty freaking mm-hmm. years. He's like a, a, a paid guide, is what I'm getting right here. You know what I'm saying? But I'll be there next year. Cool. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so uh, we're going out there to do that, and in between this time, you know, we've gotten so so close, and it, it, it's like, man, we we have a different level of friendship. You know what I'm saying? And you and I have it too, but it. It His came on a lot quicker with me, man, and, and it, it's... It's transcending. Yes, it's, it's a spiritual plane that our spirits were meant to be together in this, in, in this world, you know what I mean? I know exactly and, what you mean. Mate. And he's here, and he's always going to be here, and I can feel that, just like you are. I can feel that y'all are always going to be with me, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And uh, I need that in my life, and I love both of y'all so much, man. And uh, You
0: know, that piles on so deep, you know what I mean? Because you know, like, you know... <coughs> There's there's a safety thing, and it probably comes like kind of in line with your marine story of stuff about knowing that when you charged into this, you'd right. have these guys on you at, at your back or by yep. your side, even better by your side. Yep. Maybe some of them stepping in front of you, yep. mm-hmm. you know, because there's been a few times in my life where, where, where my brothers, you guys, stepped in front of me, yep. mm-hmm. you know, and took the fucking hit, so to speak, where I was saved, yep. uh, and that's what the, the to, to know that today. That I have a support group and a bunch of men that I can absolutely count on, absolutely, you know, that that makes me walk with it, with a higher step mm-hmm. today. Yep. You know, uh, I can move along in that safe and protected zone because uh, I got an army with me.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I got a bunch of Marines right. with me.
3: Yep. You know that that connection that we have. I, I know that. When I spoke on an, on my last uh, podcast, but I'm gonna say it again. When we did that um, at, at the retreat, where we were had to stare into another man's eyes, right. and I don't even know how long it was, but um, me and Travis had to stare into each other's eyes. And it, we didn't sit in any kind of way. We didn't know this was going to happen, but nah, it just so just happened. just up and parked a chair yeah. around the fire. <clears throat> it just so happened. Coincidence. Yeah. Um, that <coughs> me and Travis were the ones that had to do that. And, man, that was an experience I'll never forget, man. It, it, the love that I felt... I, I could I could I was talking to him without talking to him, man. and and when I was looking into his eyes and he could feel it, man. And I could feel it his response back, I could hear it, you know, in my heart. You know, that love between us, man. It was it was just a really, really cool experience, man. That's yeah, I wanted, action, de- man. yeah. I wanted to yeah, and
0: I wanna develop you know, and I don't know that I'm going uh, to take credit for it. that's not what I mean, but uh I wanna develop something out of that because there's something to that that I, that mm-hmm. really touches me, you know, and uh and and it's very vulnerable. And it's even vulnerable for, sure. for me to say this right now, to say what I'm getting ready to say. But uh, you know, I mean I would like think like it would be cool like to sit and meditate with a buddy. Mm-hmm in just an eye-gazing meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd never done you that You know before. what I mean? Just sit together. i looked at another man's eyes and, like that. Yeah. And whether it's guided or silent or whatever, and just sit there and look into one another's eyes. Yeah. Uh, tears are flowing. It's like looking in their soul, man. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost
2: right. like it's so much deeper than just looking at somebody's eyes. I mean, it goes so much It's almost much like deeper. the blinds come up, you know, yeah. there's this...
0: At first you kind of smile and snicker and you know and, and <laughs> right, do that yeah. kind of stuff. I was stuff. tearing up, man. Yeah, and, like, it but then after up. a minute, man, the blinds get turned open, you know, the little rod yeah. on the on it gets twisted or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and the blinds come open and all of a sudden there's a Yeah. And uh and you connect up, man. It's mm-hmm. it's like tractor beams or something, yeah. <laughs> you know. Next level shit. It is. You know, and you said something about next level, you know, and then what what is so cool too is that there's always like we get so we get this next level thing, right? And I'm not a gamer, but I can put it in those kind of like, you know. But you can, you know, there's there's levels inside that level. And the there's another infinite, And there's level yeah. and the infinite levels mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. today. You know, I'm on another level now, learning some new shit about how I what makes me tick and some new new stuff on that front. You know, and I, mm-hmm. and 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 it's p- other people that bring that to me too, right? Because mm-hmm. then I attract souls who are, mm-hmm. on this kind of, uh, plane that are operating on this plane, and they bring me new stuff. Yeah. not unlike the bringing the elk hunt to the new thing, you know, and, and, and some God delivered to me that idea to have these retreats down to place, you know, and you just make your, so when you, oh, when you do this thing you have a spiritually spiritual awakening and what we say, you know, you have opened your door like to the universe, you know, you swung rather than the other thing where we got that block in the wall up, right. That nothing can get in. And I'm not letting anybody, as we open that gate, man? The stuff just starts flowing in. You know, whether it's prosperity, love, you know, new experiences, uh, getting mm-hmm. to check something off a bucket list. Yeah. You know, uh, this freedom in life to to be, you know, to actually enjoy this thing because it it was not any fun. No. Now, I'll you know I'll go say some of it was fun. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But the overall story, when it wasn't fun anymore. Right uh yeah. and, and i get to you know i get to have this thing called fun and be you know it's not you know people say how are you you know and, and you know i'm fucking fantastic all the time i, say, you know, you know, I went to this store this morning and the lady, amazing. Goes, the lady <laughs> goes how are you today i said i am fantastic <laughs> and, and she looks at me like and like she, well she looks at me like like are you for real yeah. you know or is this yeah yeah If I'm, you know, if I'm just being a shithead or maybe, I'm, you know, who knows, stoned or whatever. But then she looks and she goes, hmm. And a big smile comes across her face because there's a big smile on my face most of the time.
2: Yeah. It's cool, too. Like, after that retreat, when we went on that, and I looked in Shane's eyes. Like I said, I never looked in another man's eyes like that before. Maybe to get some drugs from somebody or something. uh, Not even then, really. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But, uh when I went to a meeting I got back on that Sunday I went to a meeting that Sunday night a face to face meeting and people were coming to me going man you look different dude What what's going on with you like you're I'm like dude I'm floating right now like I'm on a different plane right now High Transform, oh, transformational yeah, they could experiences they see it on me you know yep. on my being they could see that energy and that difference and And just that weekend of us bonding together
0: and spending that time together. And so you'll see that in another person, too. And and you're like, hold on. and So now you get to ask the question, where'd you get that? Mm -hmm. What? I don't know. There's something going on. What have you done lately? (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, and that's how I've stumbled into a few things. That's how I stumbled into mankind, more or less, was seeing something in some dudes that I hadn't seen. You know, I'm like, hmm. Yep. There's something different there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where'd you get that? I
2: want that. Yeah, man.
0: It is. it's uh more and more. you know what another thing to come across you know uh you know what would you do what about doing that eye gazing in your relationship i want to do that you yeah, know man. sit with your significant other and actually do that it's I like a meditation that, yeah. and bonding thing maybe you know a couple times a couple two three times a week or something you know
3: yeah.
0: as an exercise in intimacy
3: yeah i'm almost scared to do it with me my too. wife oh man
0: i can understand that i don't know why
3: me too i i've thought about it i've really thought about it it was like scared well, to ask her scared
0: to do it scared yeah, to all
3: of it mm-hmm. you know
0: I get it I feel that same fear when it when I, you know, I don't even have a significant other but when I think of doing it with one right I go hmm mm-hmm. don't know if I can get that vulnerable
2: right yeah but vulnerability is courage right yeah it is so
3: we got a lot of that
0: it's cool stuff fellas man yeah. and uh we all this, this, right, is, we yeah just, just, that's, just, that's it that's, that's 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 what <sighs> <you're doing>. <sighs> <sighs> Y'all know what that means if y'all listen to this podcast Um. much. Uh, It is a a wonderful thing, and that is a very big understatement. Uh, We get to do this deal. We get to wrap our arms around this thing called life. We get to squeeze all the juice out of this trip on the big boom marble that I can today. Um, Shit still happens, but I walk through it with a different as a different man today when things happen and i watch you all got you guys do it too and and i see people walk through stuff that that i'll just say it's frankly impossible to walk through sometimes mm-hmm. uh, go through experiences with their level head and uh and and and, and what we talked talking about earlier you know surrender to it and uh and, and watch it watch it go away uh had a have a sponsee that's diagnosed with cancer and just yesterday or the day before, got a clean diagnosis. You know, and and I, as yeah. I as I spoke to her the other day, I could hear. You know, I, I, as I talked to her, you know, I heard her surrender that just in her language and being over time, and she surrendered it, and it lifted off. Uh, and, and and that stuff is you know it really is it's miracles not a strong enough word but that's one I use. Mm-hmm uh of of what happens when you start walking this path and it's every time right i mean you see people you see them they start walking this path like you said earlier about uh went to a couple meetings and come home found a check it doesn't even like it you know it can happen that early too you know don't you don't have to be five years down the road to experience them Mm, Uh, and those are confidence builder things where you start realizing hey there's something to this and especially if you've got a Mm -hmm. guide that's the other thing that's important i saw a question today about like why do (laughs) <laughs> on on uh and I you know I want to go into like a thing but I just lay off of it I don't engage I don't uh it was on Facebook and in one of the one of the AA twelve step groups in there and most people are off the rocker but uh so I just don't engage but uh, why I need a sponsor is because my eyes aren't so clear in those regards and I needed somebody to point those miracles out to me sometimes sometimes I couldn't see them and they were sitting right in front of my face in a big pile that I could smell mm-hmm. s- taste and feel. And I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what that is, don't you? <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. No, I don't so is. when I need that guide, that's how we do this together, too, is that somebody else is, uh, can help me find my way. And, uh, you know, it goes back to the old apprenticeship programs of people. You know, that's what we've done in humankind forever. Is, uh, is and uh, Just speak from the male standpoint. I know it goes in the female thing, too, and doing some sponsorship in TSSR. I've actually crossed that line a bit, and it works that way, too, even but uh one man takes another man and shows him how to do this thing and they and, and they bond at some level because of that process
2: that's how we change the world man mm-hmm. i mean inspiring men to be better men and like shane's my spiritual advisor and, and i talk to him a lot you know and and he inspires me and he's a mentor to me and and that's how we change the world, man. That's how we fucking change the world. It start from
0: within, man. That's
2: yep. how we change the fucking world. Showing yep. other men how to be better men.
0: Yep. And ain't nothing new either, man. That's ancient <laughs> yeah. spiritual knowledge, you know. Yeah. But we still, uh, you know, when I, when, when I grabbed hold of it, it feels new. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, but, yeah, and the only reason I bring that ancient thing up is that that that, that, that lends even more credibility to the whole thing, you know. And I, I don't know why... Uh, the gift that got tied in the in the bow that is the twelve steps, got a bow B O W, uh, got tied in a bow with, that is the twelve steps is such a uh, impactful and and effective means of of getting to where you're opening the gates and can allow the stuff to come in. But uh, it's it, it sure is and uh, but it's based on principles that you know as I as I continue to go and read stuff you know I do those. Bell ringers. When I'm reading something in some other complete different realm, mm-hmm. I'll go. That lines exactly with why we're doing a step four. Mm-hmm. Or, this lines exactly why we're doing this or doing that or doing this. So yeah, man, I just love that you guys are in here today. Me too. Love awesome. this gift we've been given. Uh, I will go around the table since it's all three, and we'll do a concluder. Yeah. So who? Uh, I'll, I'll uh, no, I'll go last because I have to close the show.
2: Okay. What are we concluding?
0: Any final thoughts that you have that you want to put out there that, uh, uh, you know, whether it was to the new guy or to I, the miracles or the gratitude or whatever kind know, of concluder you got.
2: I just want to, to give a little gratitude to our group, uh, all the guys that inspire me every day. Um. You know, I was like told you the other day. I went to a meeting, and there was a woman. There was a woman that said, uh, "Swing at microphone uh, around too." She you know, needed some help. Ruhl, t- you know, at a meeting I was at Sunday night. She said she needed some help, and I watched my wife and one other woman go up to her after that meeting. There was a hundred people at that meeting. I watched two women go up to this woman that said she needed help. She was almost in tears. And that shit don't happen in our group, man. It shit don't. That would they if that was our group and that was a man, he wouldn't have been able to get out of that room. He would have been surrounded by men, you know. And that is a gift, man. It's such a fucking gift that y- you don't know what you don't know, man. You just don't... Being new... Like Christopher says, you're like a baby chicken being broken out of an egg for like that whole first year. It's like, oh... You, you don't fucking know. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know any of the shit. Like, shit that I said six months or eight months ago, I look at it now and be like, I had no fucking clue what I was talking about. You know? Um... And I'm so grateful to be a part of this group, to these men that inspire me every day. Uh, You know, day. We're the fire that forges the steel, man. And, and, and I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing and I'll keep getting what I'm getting. I love yeah. all of y'all. Yeah, thanks Travis. love you, brother. My conclusion is a little different, man. Uh, it was something I wanted to say
3: uh, about Travis. Uh, one more thing. Uh, um, so the other day he called and, and told me that he was gonna be doing a podcast and uh, he said he was really nervous. And I said, Well, that's a good thing. I said, I'm nervous every time I go in there and get on that podcast. That means your ego is out of the fucking way. Yeah. You know? And I said, What you need to do is start praying on it and pray for uh, God to speak through you and to take away whatever fear you got about the podcast and take it away. And uh, you did a fucking awesome job, man. Yeah, man uh, you really, really did, yeah. especially being the first time on the mic. So I just want to say, Congratulations. That was fucking awesome juice. You know, uh, I, I was blessed enough to be able to be here today. Uh, I had a job that I had to kind of switch around and I'm a little late now, but um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to miss this day because it was your birthday and, um, um, and to be here for support too, man, because I love you. And uh, love you too. did an awesome job. And uh, th- that's what we find in these rooms, uh, and, you know, spiritual underground, especially um, and when I, when I first came in, um, I remembered Dan and I, the, the he came right to me and introduced himself and we kind of looked at each other with this look and I I still remember looking at you like he's got something and you were looking at me like he's got something you know kind of deal and we gave a hug and and then um I I started coming back to that group man and and it just the sharing that we have there and and the bond is just something I've looked for my whole life and I, I
0: mean, remember the little bit of hesitancy in your eyes too, though. About mm-hmm. like, is this kind of is this thing for real? You mm-hmm. were standing in your own two shoes and stuff, but there was still a piece of you that was going, hmm. Yeah, there's something else. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah.
3: So, yeah. yeah. It's a, so, who
2: gives I, I just, a fuck if it's real? Yeah, yeah right. Who I don't gives a, a fuck?
0: I'm gonna take this make believe if you that's what it is. Uh, it's okay anyway. with me. Yeah, I'm.
3: I'm grateful for you, man. And uh, you know, like Thanks. I said, you've been a big part of my life and one of my best friends. And I'm. Um, Thank you for letting me be here today for this oh, too, man. Yeah. Love you, bro. Yeah, I'm Thanks really glad you here. came. Yeah. Was.
0: I knew it was going to be good, and I knew, uh, you know, there's just, i speak about some things like uh, there's a bunch of collateral benefits that I get from this. We hear the term collateral damage, and, and everybody's heard me say this a hundred times. Uh, but the collateral benefit, like for me today, is that I get to know Travis better because mm-hmm. I heard a lot of things today that I had not heard before. Mm-hmm. And when I get to know you better, then, then, well, I can back back to that. Or like, when I get to know you better, I get to know how to better love you, and uh, and, and the bond increases because you've allowed me to see the. I heard Earl say one time, "What's the definition of intimacy? Intimacy is uh, me being me and me letting you see me. Mm-hmm. That's key. And you know, I got to see you better today, and that's another off. Benefit of this podcast is that people get to know one another. Like you spoke earlier about getting to hear Alex's podcast and getting to know him better. Right, got to yeah, know mm-hmm. something that you know, and uh, because that takes a you know, it takes a lot of time investment to get to know somebody, and you get a pretty good idea of knowing somebody when they come in here and they tell their story. And uh, new guys can come and hear that, and you know, in this day of, uh, of the COVID and no face to face meetings and hard to get to know new guys um i've had a few people express to me the meaning of the podcast from that standpoint to getting to listen to it and hear people and get to know guys better uh get to know guys and gals better mm-hmm. uh through this medium you know and who knew that god was gonna throw this gift in my lap you know right. i mean who to have thunk who to thunk ah just totally blessed love both of y'all from Three the very days, bottom you. of my heart mm-hmm. Thanks, Travis, for coming in and doing this. It took a a little bit of nudging in a way. I knew you was up for it, but I knew there was a hesitancy, too. And I was really aiming at that day 365, and you said maybe not. And then my schedule changed around. I had a job this morning, too. But then I called him, and I said, hey, man, can we do it in the afternoon instead? And he said, sure. And uh, because Travis works in the evening, so that would have been out and – and we could have easily done it some other time, too. But I love landing on this 365, and there was something in my heart. And I don't know. It just ding-belled, like, last week, right? Mm-hmm. I went, oh, man. Uh, and also, I get to air it quickly, you know, because yeah. uh, I try not to, like, I don't, I don't want to get real head on this thing. Uh, I'm not aiming at getting ahead, so I got five six episodes in a can except yeah. for around deer season sometimes uh, <laughs> <laughs> September
3: next year you're yeah in Colorado. right yeah, yeah maybe
0: uh, so y'all heard about the Neverglades. There was a podcast out there that's got that in the name of it and I don't remember what it was. It's Jesse's retreat, the Neverglades. Uh, that is a podcast where you can hear us all doing a roundtable from that event we spoke about tonight so or today. so if you if you're interested, you can kind of peel back and chase down that rabbit hole uh i just thank you all for listening we're we're i'm getting way up on listens and it's it's juicy and that people keep on listening and and i keep on getting your uh feedback uh and and your feedback uh your feedback frankly makes me feel loved and uh now i know why i like it and uh that's a big gift she gave me yesterday man. i'm gonna gonna have to ponder and meditate contemplate on that a bit um So if you can hear what you hear in this room, uh, this will mean just a little more today. Uh, If you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. And just want to thank everybody for allowing Travis, Shane, and I to participate in our recoveries in this manner today. Peace out.